0: Hello and welcome to the Mighty 90s movie and TV podcast. I'm Simon and I'm Dom and on this episode we are diving into (laughs) Jurassic Park! Welcome to the Mighty 90s movie and TV podcast, where it is always 1030 at night, so it's time to grab the snacks from the sweet cupboard, move upstairs and settle in as tonight's movie for debate is Jurassic Park. So, Dom, before we go any further, what do you my friend remember about Jurassic Park?
1: Shoot ha I remembered. I remember everything, I think I remember everything. I absolutely loved Jurassic Park. Loved it, brilliant. Fantastic film, groundbreaking. Even even for 1993, this, was, this is amazing. It still holds up now, I think. And uh, just, just everything, all the characters, all the action, all the dinosaurs, what happens, who does what, who does it when, the whole lot. I actually love this film. It's quality. I'm so happy that we're we're doing this. This is like, this is up there, mate. This is to- totally up there.
0: Well, this was your choice, right? So, absolutely. <laughs> and what a great choice! I mean, can you tell us like your first memories of Jurassic Park? Did you watch it in the in the cinema or was this a home video situation?
1: Um, I think again, I think this is a this is a one this is one that was at home. You often ask me this question. It's always at home. I must have just not really gone to the cinema <laughs> as a kid. I did go to the cinema as a kid, um, I, but I don't. I don't really. I try and place like the memory to y- you know either if I'm with someone else or if I'm you know a particular point in my life that that kind of thing. But I just remember Jurassic Park being massive. It was huge when it was coming out. It was it was you know absolutely huge like, as a as a film, and then it's obviously turned into this. Massive franchise of of films that's developed into into Jurassic World, and um, honestly, it's just quality <laughs> from from start to finish. I mean, the the sequels, the Jurassic Park sequels, always a bit um, touchy, but sequels are like that, aren't they? So, um, I, I think I could quite happily overlook them. But this this one is the one that still, for me, holds up today, and cinematography and stuff like that and just cgi and animatronics and all sorts it just broke so many boundaries and just took filmmaking to a whole new level and it was you know brilliant so even watching it as a kid and you know always had toy dinosaurs and stuff like that so just having a film that just reincorporated dinosaurs that had them back alive in this day and age rather than people having to go back in time or finding a undiscovered part of the world where they've, you know, like journey to the center of the earth and stuff like that. Films like that always then ended up having dinosaurs and massive creatures and stuff that come out of nowhere and King Kong and stuff. It was always like a secret Island that nobody could ever get to or find. This is actually bringing dinosaurs back to almost like a normal world. Um, And it's what a great, what a great idea. What a great story. So well, well done, Michael Crichton. Well done. <laughs> and what, what about you? What about your, you know, thoughts, feelings, memories
2: of the film?
0: Well, like you, I absolutely love this film, and it's something that I don't feel like has ever left me. In terms of I've watched this so many times, it's never felt like it's a nostalgic. I mean, it is nostalgic, but it's never felt like it's. Something that I've left behind and I'm rediscovering because I've watched it over and over again. I did actually watch this in the cinema, which is insane. Because 1993, we were six years old. It came out on the 16th of July, 1993. So I was five. And in three days, I would be six. (laughs) (laughs) Maps. So... (laughs) (laughs) but the uh so that's that's insane because this is a pg this movie came out as a pg so in the uk i think i think it's the same in 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 the usa isn't it it's a pg 13 i think but this was pg here in the uk means it's parental guidance so anyone of any any child of any age can go as long as they have like a parent with them basically so i remember watching it in the cinema and then I remember talking to you, Dom, about it at primary school, uh, which is like our elementary school. And I was in the, the hall, in the assembly hall, having like a pat lunch or something. And I just remember being on those little tables. I think it might have, I don't know, maybe it was like a rainy day or something. I have no idea. Uh, and I remember laughing with you about the guy that being eaten off of the toilet. <laughs> Gennaro, who we'll talk about later. Um, but thinking, of course, about, after that. thinking about it now, and as you didn't watch it in the cinema, perhaps this was on like, you know, viewings, future viewings, uh, you know, when it come out on video or whatever. But, but yeah, I remember watching it in the cinema. I remember loving it. I remember being in, incredibly scared and having nightmares afterwards. This is probably not going to go in the direction that you're thinking. I had nightmares that my mum was secretly a philosophical raptor. <laughs> <laughs> and that she was going to murder me in my sleep.
1: <laughs> I mean, if there's any um, psychiatrist listening or anything like that, they're analysing the crap out of this, mate.
0: Well, thinking about it once you know, a step further. So I suffered with this for like a few weeks. Like it was real, like as in, do you remember, I used to have like a bed that was like a top bunk bed and then the bottom bunk bed was missing and there was like a little sofa under there. Do you remember that? Yeah. I think it was like in these times, I I think, you know, it's hard to remember exactly. But I remember like my mum would come in like when, when I was asleep just to like on... You know, we'd go to bed at like, I don't know, eight or something, you know, as a kid. And then your parents would go to bed later. And then when they go to bed, they would sort of just check in on you, make sure you're alive, I'm guessing, or whatever. And so I remember like the door opening and a little bit of light coming through. And I'd be like, here it is. It's time. (laughs) She's coming for me. Time to say the long good night. (laughs) And but so after a few weeks of this. I actually sat my mum down and was like mum I need to tell you something I have this fear that you are actually a philosophical raptor now thinking about it now can you cuz my mum was probably my age now when having this conversation can you imagine being sat down by like a 6 year old boy and being you know described the fear that they think that at night you are going to turn into a dinosaur that's going to murder them
1: I mean one, it's probably hilarious. Two, a little bit heartbreaking for a mum. Because I, I can imagine if you told your dad this and said, Dad, I think you're going to turn into a Velociraptor. I have this fear that you turn into a Velociraptor at night and you're going to come in and kill me. He'd be like, that's exactly what happens. If you don't go to sleep, I will come in and rip you to shreds. Because that's he'd, he'd just do it for the, for the longs and he wouldn't care that you had like zero sleep for four weeks because <laughs> your mom would prob- your mom would probably be a little bit like that's not really nice is it simon you know that a bit a bit upset by it
0: yeah so sorry <laughs> sorry mum you know i had it wrong turns out <laughs> you're not a Velociraptor, raptor and um but Velociraptors raptors are key in Jurassic Park in the franchise and they are beloved in a way right <laughs> so Course. kind of a compliment. Absolutely. But then also like you, I remember having lots of dinosaur toys, loving all of that, loving The the Land Before Time, uh, you know, like the cartoon movie and Denver, The Lost Dinosaur and all these, you know, but this was the first time that dinosaurs was taken seriously, like in my opinion or in my experience at that time. And that is what, jurassic park's ultimate sort of secret weapon is is the like sincerity that they treat the dinosaurs with like it's not a joke like they uh, in the sequels like you mentioned it becomes a bit comic and like tongue-in-cheek at times and but this is like no like they're treated as like a real threat and they're also treated as something that's like magnificent to sort of behold and that's all like spielberg's wonderful filmmaking and of course we will get into all of that anything else that you remember any other memories before we move into j park as you like to call it
1: <laughs> j park and j world no i just remember really enjoying the films i uh, loved them and it's it's film it's a film that i could quote when i was younger and on the rewatch recently and all the times that i've seen it you can still quote from it it's it's not something that leaves you I think if you're a like a a proper fan of the film you know someone that has grown up loving it as as many people you know that are our age did you know grew up absolutely loving the film and really enjoyed it you can just quote bits without even really thinking
0: about it Uh, credit to it I actually have watched it twice in the last week I watched it once for the podcast and then last night I was looking for something to watch and I was like I'm just going to watch this again (laughs) because it's so good there's not a single moment in the movie that to me isn't like classic like I feel like in a way we were a bit spoiled um, as children, have so many amazing movies like this that a lot do pale in comparison. And unfortunately, as you said, some of the sequels do. I think, I mean, we're not going to talk about the sequels too much, but I think it is important to acknowledge them a bit anyway. I actually watched all of them over the last couple of weeks because I've been you know going down this Jurassic Park sort of road. Um, so let's play a quick game, Dom. I will. I'll say the film. And then you tell me just quickly what you would give it out of 10. Assuming you've seen all of the Jurassic Park films, right? Yes. Right. So the second one, The Lost World, what would you give that out of 10? Six. Six. Okay. And the third one, I forgot. Is the third one got a name? Was it just Jurassic Park 3? I think it's just three can't remember. For the purpose of this game it's just called Jurassic Park 3 what would <laughs> you, you, you give that?
1: Probably about the same, 6
0: Oh really? So you think maybe, you think maybe so? a 5 and a half I think the popular consensus is that 2 is better than 3 but 3 is like the bottom of the barrel of the whole franchise
1: Yeah, I mean both of them aren't great compared to the original but you know they've they've tried to make it their own haven't they
2: well
0: the second bit. one was still Spielberg um but that, it's kind of interesting that this happens with a lot of sequels they feel like they have to become almost caricatures of the original like they have to try and be bigger and brighter and bolder and they don't treat the dinosaurs with this sincerity that we're talking about earlier they just sort of just you know, shove them in your face a little bit, and then the third one that's not Spielberg, is just very. They don't treat. I don't know. Like it's all. It's all the animatronics and the CGI. It's just. It's kind of typical of the early two thousands, you know. Yeah, you... yeah.
1: It's trying to, it's trying to squeeze the the last ounce of whatever we can out of the of this Jurassic Park, you know, sort of franchise they created. So the the second one was probably successful, but not as successful obviously as the first one. And then they thought, okay, actually we could probably keep this going, but let's bring back Sam Neil because he wasn't in the second one because they relied very heavily on Jeff Goldblum in the second one, didn't they? And then they kind of followed those sort of paths, didn't they? They sort of separated out as like a Y in the road. So the sec- the second film was Jeff Goldblum and his family and then additional characters. And then the third one was back to Sam Neil plus additional characters. And then it touches on Laura Dern a little bit, Ellie, as well, and her kind of family situation.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I do have to say that there are some scenes in the second one. Uh, the second one holds a place in my heart, actually, because more of the time it came out. I think the second one was 97, I think. And I remember watching that at the cinema, loving that, having like the hmm. video game, etc. There's some scenes like when the uh, like the trailer they have, yeah, goes yeah. over the edge. Yeah, like that's that's classic. I love that, and I and love they're, they're holding
1: of, onto the the rope and it falls through.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really good bit. The guy that's like the hero is in like the jeep and he's like pulling it in reverse and he's saving the day, and the two T Rexes come kind of like. There's some really good bits in it. I just feel like it kind of was a bit all over the place. Like they they end up off of the island and they end up in like San Diego at the end, and they sort of have this 20 minute run with a T Rex in San Diego, and it's kind of like yeah, that's a great idea, but that's sort of its own movie on its own. They kind of just tagged it on the end, and
1: yeah, maybe felt a bit rushed, didn't it? But it's a great bit where the girl does the acrobatics as well, doesn't she in the second one? And she um. Because she, she got kicked off the gym, gymnastics team, didn't she, or whatever. And she does the the two bars or whatever it is, and she's spinning around and she kicks the velociraptor through a window. That's, That's a great bit. And, um, and uh, Ian Malcolm has a, a line there, doesn't he, is all, and they kicked you off the team for that or something. It might not be him, it might be his.
0: No, no, you got tricks. it. You got oh, it. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Good call. Yeah.
1: That's a good bit. I haven't watched that film for a long time, though.
0: They're all on Netflix now, so I watched it uh, the other day. And it's yeah, I it's one of them ones. It's hard to be objective about because I hold that one in a special place. But the third one, not So so much.
1: Just to just to continue this a little bit, then I won't go into too much because we've we've got so much to talk about. But what about the world? series of films. I know there's only two at the moment, but another one on its way out. So what about the Jurassic World films? Are you seeing them, a fan of them?
0: Uh yeah. So the first Jurassic World I think is really good. And I think they've done they did a really good job of rebooting it. Uh it's one of the most successful films of all time, I think. It's like in the top ten. Like I know it earned over a billion. Like it superseded the original jurassic park obviously we'll get to all of that and i think rightfully so like it's kind of pulled on the nostalgia just like the perfect amount it had like the undertone of the score the john williams score going through it and it was a great way to tell the story that now dinosaurs are just like everywhere and people are almost bored of it so they're having to create these new hybrids and it's kind of like a sea world situation and uh, yeah, I really like that. Chris Pratt is great in pretty much everything he's in, and he's he's great in that. So I really like it. I actually, my wife and I met, uh forgotten his name. <laughs> it's Nick, it's Nicholas something. The main, the main, the main kid, the older brother. <laughs> I need to look. Hang on. Oh, what's that guy's name from Jurassic World? No, the one we met, Nick something. The one we met on Broadway. Nick Robinson. Yeah. thank you. Thanks. So my wife and I actually met Nick Robinson that played the older brother in Jurassic World when he was in To Kill a Mockingbird on Broadway, which was awesome and he was very good in. And... So now that, now that we met him for like 10 seconds afterwards, I almost, it hasn't even a higher place in my, in my world. But yeah, I really enjoyed that. The second Jurassic World, I enjoyed the first half and then it got a little bit, again, they were sort of trying to combine too many ideas into one, I think. I still enjoyed it and I enjoyed the way it's set up for the third Jurassic World. But I will say they they could do a million of these movies. I will watch all of them at the cinema. Like I can't get enough, like as much as I can't bad mouth it because it has me. It has me. So what, what, what about you? What do you think of the Jurassic world movies?
1: Uh, yeah. Like you said, I really enjoyed the first one. Um, and Chris Pratt kind of taking on that trainer role and that the, the dinosaurs kind of, um, the velociraptors in it, they kind of, almost imprint on him, don't they? Is that, is that the right word?
0: Yeah, that's the um, words they use, I think, imprinting.
1: And he's almost like that, that connection with the animal, but he, he's got that respect for them. So that respect that um, Dr. Grant talks about in Jurassic Park and Ian Malcolm talks about in, in the originals and, and says, you know, the, these are wild animals and you're putting something that was extinct millions of years ago they've had their they've had their turn they've had their chance you've brought them back you've thrown man into the mix with that they, we don't know how we could ever possibly coexist and he's very much Chris Pratt's character is very much still on the same lines of that these are wild animals they're not meant to be caged you've built these in a lab but they're still wild they still think like wild animals so they will do anything to protect themselves and you've created a crazy hybrid that we can't track or find and it can basically camouflage itself well, what the hell are we going to do <laughs> um he, he's great value for money isn't he he's all and he's going to be in everything that he's in because he's such a good uh actor and he he does different roles really well and he just he can do serious but he the comedy side of him is is fantastic and then yet like you said the, the second one there's kind of like a weird dinosaur auction isn't there
2: yeah in the second one
1: and it's just a bit it's all a bit strange right it's like you said all the elements of it are all a bit odd if you put it all together it's quite weird if you put it as separate films it kind of would probably make sense but um as one sort of linear film it, it's a bit weird but i think they'll probably make up for it in the third one I actually think this is going to be one where the second one isn't great, but the third one they smash it.
0: Yeah, I think you can tell that some of it was written as just plot devices to get dinosaurs off an island and have them in the the world so that they can escape, and then you know to set up the third one, which is basically going to be like the end of the lost world, but times like a hundred. uh, And to get that imagery at the end where you've got like the T-Rex roaring at like the lion and uh, all of that got me hype. (laughs) That's hype. I need to see it. (laughs) Hype. Hype. Give me the funk. Give me the funk. Hype. Hype.
1: Well, I hope all that stays in. (laughs) It's the OG T-Rex that saves the day as well.
0: Yeah, I do you know first, I didn't get that the fir- in in the first Jurassic World you mean. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize for I think until after watching the film and you know looking at all the stuff online that yeah that that is the OG one because you can see it's like marks from the philosophical raptors that like scar it at the end of this first Jurassic Park and yeah, it's brilliant. Open paddock 9. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure whether she would successfully be able to run away from a T Rex in high heels, but guess what? I'm with it because I'm hype, hype. Give it a fuck, give it a fuck, hype, hype. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> okay, so Dom. Yes, mate. My friend, my buddy. So, are you ready? I'm ready. To tell me this then. What do you think Jurassic Park won 1993, released on the 16th of July? What rating on IMDbizzle do you think it gets?
1: It's got to be up there. It's got to be. But I don't remember, when I've looked at lists before of like the top 10 films on IMDb, I don't remember seeing it. I mean, Shawshank's on there, Private Ryan's on there, there's loads on there but I don't remember, well, I was obviously 10, but <laughs> I don't remember Jurassic Park. So I'm going to have to go for like, and I think this is a quite a conservative eight. So I'm going to say eight out of 10.
0: It's very close. It is
2: 8.1. Oh, not bad. <laughs> not bad.
0: <laughs> very close. So, it is in fact in the IMDb top 250 movies of all time. What number do you think it is of the top
1: 250? 25. Nowhere near.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is in fact number 165. Wow. Okay. But That's... I mean, it definitely, there's arguments could be made for it to for sure be in the top 20 top 10 i jurassic park to me is in my top 10 100 i think
1: i I think the problem with my guess there is that i'm thinking about films from the 90s i'm not thinking about films throughout all time so films from the 90s is going to be in the top 30 surely. but so i think that's you know my mistake there If, if you looked at it as a film and including all the hundreds of thousands of films that have been made over the years that are, you know, IMD, IMDb recognises, then yeah, I think I think probably 165 is a, is a justified position. And is a good position. You could probably push it up a little bit more. I bet there's stuff above it that we would go, nah, <laughs> that's, that shouldn't even be in the top 250. But you know, someone sat there and gone through every rating and worked it all out and that's how it's ended up where it is. But I mean, to be in the top 250 surely is... That's pretty amazing as well considering it's films of all time so
0: for sure for sure what about Rotten Tomatoes
1: well we always have this horrible horrible game of Rotten Tomatoes because there's such a they're so up and down and they're all they're normally always the opposite of IMDB but there's no way in hell they've given Jurassic Park anything lower than like a 50 so it's, it's got to be up there so I'm gonna be quite bold with this and be like 85%. that's what I'm going for.
0: Well Dom. That's close. It is ninety-one percent. Oh, that's
1: that's pretty that's pretty damn good, isn't it? <laughs>
0: that's pretty damn good. It's a very good film, so for sure deserved. The Dom. What about its budget?
1: Oh, okay. So Groundbreaking animatronics and CGI. Big actors in it for the time as well. Like Richard Attenborough. Richard Attenborough. Just, wow. But it's early 90s. So it's got to be like 50 to 60 million. Doesn't by your face. I'm not sure now. <laughs> I'll go like 58 million.
0: Giving me the Listerine face. You know, when you get the mouthwash, the... <laughs> the burn it's <laughs> yeah. oh, very close it's 63 million
1: alright I'll take that I will take that
0: <laughs> well little fact Dom do you know that it cost more to make the Jurassic Park ride at Universal Studios than it did to make this movie
1: Jesus Christ how much did it cost to make the ride
0: I don't know but more than 63 million <laughs>
1: what was What was on the ride? Did they actually make real dinosaurs?:
0: It's an awesome ride it's great it's actually it's like a log flume ride, but you go through Jurassic Park and then you end up and there's yeah. a massive animatronic T-rex head and it's like trying to bite you and you escape it by like plummeting vertical down a waterfall. it's awesome. That sounds amazing. It's very fun very, <laughs> very fun so that's what it costs to make this masterpiece, but what did it gross worldwide? They still like release it or re-release it in cinemas every now and again for anniversaries, and if they rendered it into 3D. And so I'm assuming that this is taking all of that into consideration. It's not taking into consideration like home video and merchandise. This is like box office gross.
1: What about like Netflix money? No,
0: it's all on Netflix. I don't think it takes. I think that all comes into like separate budget of being like you know post theatrical release. I think this okay. is all just based on what it what it's grossed at box office. So
1: I I reckon this is probably going to be the biggest film we've ever covered in terms of like money back in the '90s. So I think what we were saying about World earlier being over a billion. I've got a feeling that this is probably about a billion.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, his shooting from the hip is $1 billion. <laughs> yes! There's <laughs> well, <it is> a, <laughs> a tiny bit over it. It's $1 billion and $32,000. So $1 billion $32,000.
1: Wow. That's just an insane amount of money. That's, that's your money and potentially my money that have gone into this film.
2: Yeah,
0: we've
1: contribute. We have contributed to that billion dollars.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit. It's a, it means a little bit less than when we contributed to Celtic Pride. and It only made nine million.
1: <laughs> it made a loss.
0: <laughs> this has made. or you think about it from that perspective: sixty-three million of a budget, and it's made over a billion dollars. And that's again not taken into consideration. Remember all of the merchandise for this film, all of the lunch boxes t-shirts pencil cases video games like every and they still sell this stuff everywhere yeah it's huge
1: yeah i mean doing the job that i do and working in retail and stuff like that you see some of this merchandise come through and then when world came out there's just loads of it you know i mean even in jurassic world there's jurassic park merchandise yeah the guy one of the guys has got a t-shirt on, doesn't he? It's like a bit inappropriate, but it's, it's, you know, it's a great little sort of nod and to, to that world, isn't it? And it's fantastic.
0: This is one of those film franchises that like makes it onto cereal, you know, cereal boxes, boxes of whatever. You've got like Jurassic Park on the side and yeah. Lego. Oh yeah. Lego.
2: Yeah. That's
1: it. This is a film franchise that made it into Lego. Yeah. So
0: it's big. It's it's up there in terms of franchises of size of I mean it's not it's not as big as Star Wars but it's up there of having that sort of impact, you know that these movies are massive and can and trickle into every sort of facet of pop culture. I
1: absolutely agree. And it only needs so the next film to be released and then it needs another three on top of it and it's matched the number of Star Wars films.
0: Yeah. And and I'm <laughs> sure that over time they will. Um, you know, if they finish this one and then, you know, wait another twenty years, they'll there'll be a first for more because dinosaurs is never gonna not be cool. Right? It's always gonna be awesome.
1: But on. What would you, what would they call it? Jurassic
0: universe well the next one oh right after world well and i guess a lot of it depends on how this third one's going to finish because are they going to go like a planet of the apes type you know situation where it's going to be they're trying to take over the planet who knows
1: what dinosaurs on horses
0: <laughs> yeah hey we don't get to talk about this stuff because we are uh, you know we're strictly on the 90s but we'll just <laughs> slip in the fact that the recent planet of the apes trilogy or semi-recent i think uh summer is maybe one of my favorite trilogies of all time those movies are outstanding like every single one said it said it meant it it happened
1: i like it and andy circus is fantastic
0: next level and what is interesting is that a lot of people say you know he should be getting an oscar for the motion capture a lot of that has developed and you could say it has some of its foundations in Jurassic Park, not motion capture, but CGI. But guess what, Dom? I'm just saying this to segue into the fact that Jurassic Park won three Oscars. Can you guess what categories they were for? Soundtrack. You mean best song? Yeah. No. Best like
1: com- like musical composition or something like that. No. No, Dominic. So John Williams is last down there.
0: <laughs> John. Johnny's Johnny let us down on that one, but he probably he must have a record amount of Oscars for all of everything
1: this. else that Spielberg
0: has made. Anything he has created, yeah, he must have so many. But uh, you're close, but it's not on music.
1: Did it, Did it win Best Picture? No, that's a shame. Um, I can't imagine any of the actors won Best anything um so it must be to do with the filming so best best director no best
0: cinematography no i think, don't have clues think about think about more of the production best, side best
1: graphics <laughs>
0: right yeah i will accept that best visual effects yeah and then uh, think about what goes with the effects You've got the effects on one hand, but then with that, with the visual, you have to put the... Sound. So it won best sound, and then one more.
1: It's going to be the third one.
0: It's a bit of a trick question, really. I'll tell you. So it won best sound, it won best sound effects, and then Uh... it won best visual effects. So I'm guessing sound is in overall sound of the movie, and then sound effects for you know specific stuff to go with the visual effects i'm assuming i don't know nice
1: that's good that's pretty cool three oscars i'll take that
0: yeah three oscars so really good it was directed by the one and only steven spielberg is there much more to say about Spielberg that hasn't been said already? He obviously is in a class of his own. You could argue one of the best directors of all time. And this arguably is him in his peak doing kind of his peak prime kind of film. Like He is great at getting these all round movies that can encompass the whole family, has heart, builds up suspense, just yeah, an amazing filmmaker.
1: I completely agree. I mean, there was a documentary about him on Sky not long ago, um, and I watched a little bit of it, and it just touched on bits of every film that he's sort of done, every like major film that he's done. From you know as as early as Close Encounters, I think, maybe even before that, it talked about things that he did when he was at college and stuff. But talked about Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and then built from there and Jurassic Park was involved and obviously other ones that we've covered, Private Ryan and it was was him talking as well, which is good. So it's, you know, Jaws, just all sorts of stuff like that. I'd I'd seen somewhere, might have been on that programme, or might have read somewhere that Jurassic Park is supposed to fall under the genre of horror. It's supposed to be a horror film because it's, it's about building suspense. And that's why, not to go into too much detail before we start meeting the characters and stuff. But when you look at the, when you have the moments like when the cow gets lowered into the velociraptor cage, you don't see anything. So it's about having the, the, the horror of it, knowing what's going on without visually seeing it. And that's what scares people more. And um, he would either, he said, or he was asked to make jaws, but on land. His jaws was just terrifying. So scary. People scared to go in the water, you know, after jaws was made because of this huge, Kill a great white shark that was the biggest shot you've ever seen that ate a boat. Um, and uh, he was basically asked to recreate that feeling and that sense of fear and horror, but on land. And he did it with, you know, Michael Crichton's book in mind, which, uh, you know, I think had been plucked to be a film before it was even published. As well. So someone had paid Michael Crichton a lot of money and said, get the book published, but we want the film rights to it like immediately.
0: Well, that's a perfect segue, Dom, because I was about to say the writer is Michael Crichton that wrote the book. Now, this book also was like everywhere when the movie came out. And when I was a bit older, so still primary school age but do you remember we used to go to the library in our like little primary school and you'd get books out right i remember jurassic park being in there and i trying to read it <laughs> that is not child reading <laughs> like, reading is hard for me at the best of times but <laughs> for like novels but this is like it's in depth like you know they're kind of give you the the surface level stuff of the science bit in the movie but he really goes into it in the book and even if I was to try and read that now I would probably struggle but as you said it's uh yeah written by him and yeah
1: Michael Crichton has um been quoted as saying that there's only 20% of the content of the book in the film that's how detailed and how much there is in that book so you trying to read that as a kid is crazy, you know. And like you said, trying to read it now it'll probably be just as hard because that is going to have so much detail in it. And they say that um, apparently the you know the Mr. DNA bit that a lot of that was Spielberg's way of getting as much information from the book into the film as possible because there's just so much. So it's just do the Mr. DNA bit, which is great, you know, graphics and a bit of fun, but it's about throwing as much of Michael Crichton's writing into it and going this is this is what we need to put into the film because it has to explain a certain amount of stuff but we can't put everything in because it would be a six hour long film you know maybe even longer probably as long as this podcast
0: (laughs) (laughs) well that mr dna bit is genius because it gets so much exposition and detail across to the audience but disguising it as getting it over to the characters as well because they also need to have this information it's genius because it also breaks it down with the visuals like if that was just like you know a 10 minute scene of of the actors just explaining it back and forth in dialogue there's no way that it would be as impactful like you watch that scene and it's like oh yeah okay they've got this from you know the mosquitoes and They've used this drill, yep, yeah, okay, and they put frog DNA, yep, yeah, and dinosaurs, great, that's all I need to know, let's move on. But you don't feel cheated, and it doesn't feel disingenuous. It feels like, oh, this could happen. But I've, I've watched this at times and been like, why are they not bringing dinosaurs back? They can clearly <laughs> do this. <laughs> Make it happen. Like, like, the logic makes so much sense to me. It oh makes God. sense. The, the
1: the best we've come up with so far as as a race is cloning a sheep. Do you know what I mean?
0: And there's plenty of sheep out there. Don't yeah, we didn't it.
1: need to clone. We didn't need another sheep, especially one that looks like another sheep. We've and got. They all look the same ways. anyway. Exactly. It's basically a walking cloud. Give us something that's going to like rip our faces off. Come on, come on, science.
0: <laughs> Do your job. Excite us, science. <laughs> Well, okay. So let's move in to some trivia. So as we have done previously, I'm going to go to IMDB and I am going to go through some of the trivia. Some of it is good and some of it is bad dom you will be the judge of whether it is good trivia or whether it is poor trivia because like wikipedia imdb you can it can be contributed to by fans like us so sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not okay are you ready dom i'm ready Okay, so this movie and the book generated so much interest in dinosaurs that the study of paleontology had a record increase in students. Uh, that's an
1: okay fact.
0: I mean, you can not really imagine. about the film. Yeah, and you can imagine that, that that would happen. Yeah. So as you mentioned, the, the T-Rex uh, is animatronic, so a lot of what makes this good is that they use animatronics and then they put in CGI with it as well, like incredibly early CGI. But isn't it insane how the effects look better in the first one than they do in some of the sequels? Like as in the effects stand up today, there are parts of bits where it's like, oh, okay, you can see it's a bit blocky or whatever. But for the most part, they look amazing. You know, like insane, and so on. That the T Rex occasionally malfunction due to the rain, and I think that is part of a genius technique as well. And we'll talk about that scene when we get there. But there's a lay, there's layers over the top of it. So the fact that it's raining, it's at night. You know, it sort of hides some of the you know effects in a way, but also they don't hide it. it kind of, it just makes it look even more awesome, and like you said, builds the suspense even more. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I didn't know if you wanted to say anything. No, I just completely agree.
1: Just, yeah, I'm going a lot, you know, enjoying enjoying your flow.
0: Right, so the T-Rex occasionally would malfunction due to the rain because it would, you know, get heavy on the animatronic. So the producer, Kathleen Kennedy, recalls the T-Rex went into the heebie-jeebies sometimes and scared the crap out of us. We'd be like eating lunch and all of a sudden a T-Rex would come alive. At first, we didn't know what was happening. And then we realised it was the rain. You'd hear people start screaming.
1: That's fantastic. <laughs> what a way of creating a horror film. Just let the, let the scary monster, when, you know, when everyone thinks you're not filming, come alive.
0: <laughs> so the T-Rex, the roar of the T-Rex, which they so deserve to win the Sound Oscar because the sound in this is what makes it so epic. It's the T Rex roar is a combination of one, two, three, four different animal noises sort of merged together. Can you guess those animals? Penguins is one of them. Shut up. A penguin is one. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that, was just, that was
1: me being stupid. That was a Pen- penguin.
0: Penguins one. We've got four more. Elephant. Yeah,
1: what makes big noises?
0: Uh, some I have sort of sea one. lion. No,
1: what an actual lion?
0: No, I I have one of these. Dog. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's three. You said a lion, similar to a lion. Tiger. Yeah. Okay. Don't be scared.
1: The <laughs> It's okay. It's okay.
0: Um, you got one more. Badger. It's like a badger. It's an alligator. <laughs>
1: <laughs> do, do, do you, do you want to know something about our history? Yes. That we were going. We years ago, before we'd even really ever thought. But before podcasts were ever a thing, you can even use the internet without removing phone plugs and things like that so you couldn't use a phone and the internet at the same time we had decided you and i when we were younger that we were going to do a film magazine do you remember this no so you and i had decided that we were going to make a, a film magazine because we love films well, clearly because this is what we do now and our first film that we were going to cover was jurassic park
0: no way. I actually I actually do not remember this at all.
1: No. So we were in your so your computer was in your parents' bedroom.
0: Yeah. And the, the little
1: dial-up connection was like at the end of their bed. Yeah. And we plugged everything in and we were ready to go and we you know we we had permission we were allowed to do it. And we were basically sitting at the computer coming up with ideas and stuff of what to put in this magazine that we were going to create. And we were going to do a film magazine. We were going to talk about films we really liked and really enjoyed and talk about how they made them and stuff. And we were talking for quite some time about the noise of the T-Rex, the noise that they make, and that it sounded like an elephant. And that was going to be what went in the in our magazine.
0: That's so funny. So you hear it first. Think of this as an audio version of our magazine. <laughs> 25 years later, here yeah. it is. That's really cool because, yeah, to think that, Yeah, like, what, 25, 26 years later, we are actually doing a podcast based on this movie and, you know, not movies like it. Very cool.
2: There you
1: go.
0: Came to fruition, my friend.
1: (laughs) finally happened.
0: (laughs) So this also reminds me of you. Uh, So (laughs) Michael, Michael Crichton intended John Hammond to be like a dark Walt Disney. Just reminds me of you because of your theories of Walt Disney still being frozen in the middle of Space Mountain or whatever.
1: He's kicking about. He's down there. You know, like 2020 is basically the apocalypse. So when they when they um, thaw him out, we know shit's shit's going to happen. The shit's you know, unreal stuff is going to happen in this world. Um, Someone keep
0: eyes on Disneyland. Keep
1: watching, people. Keep watching.
0: So, director Steven Spielberg wanted the colossal Raptors to be about 10 feet tall, which was taller than they were known to be. According to an artist that was involved in pre-production, Spielberg requested this change because he was unhappy with the size of what was considered to be the largest dromosoid. I have pronounced that wrong. (laughs) At the time... Oh, no, there's more to come. At the time... The This is why I couldn't read Jurassic part of the book. <laughs> <laughs> and he wanted it to be bigger. Another given reason was that Spielberg fought to make the raptor larger, but it would make them more menacing. During filming, paleontologists actually uncovered a 10-foot-tall specimen of a raptor. So he wanted them to be bigger. They said, well, they're not bigger. So that's probably going to be wrong. He said, no, nope, I'm doing it anyway. And then they uncovered an actual one of the size of Spielberg said. So I'm thinking, are you thinking that Spielberg just made his own 10-foot dinosaur, buried it, and was like, have a look over there. <laughs> there might be some bones over there. Have a look over there. <laughs> yeah. How, you to- know, How tall was it? 10. Oh. <laughs> Buy me lunch, motherfucker.
1: You see where you're digging? I think you should dig in this little crater here. You know, I haven't been over there at all with anyone.
0: Don't worry about it being shallow. It's fine. Yeah, just, you're just oh, you. Oh,
1: you found a skeleton there. Oh, what? what was it? Was it? Was a Velociraptor? Okay, yeah, sure, sure. You've mentioned it already. okay, yeah. How? How tall again? Ten. Oh, I was <laughs> ten? Was it? <laughs> he definitely did that. <laughs> Hit him and Walt
0: him <laughs>
1: they 're together, they know what they 're doing,
0: Dom, how much do you think Universal Pictures paid Michael Crichton for the rights to the novel, as you mentioned before it was even published?
1: I think I know this because I think I've read it right. previously, not not like recently it's like two million dollars two million dollars i 've read this be- like before. Maybe when we were doing our magazine when we were like six.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the guests encounter with the sick Triceratops and it ends without any clear explanation as to why the animal is sick. Michael Crichton's original novel and the screenplay, however, include an explanation. Okay, this is good because I have never known. Do you know?
2: Is
1: it something to do with teeth?
0: With his teeth. Well, let's find out. The Stegosaurus and Triceratops. Oh, dumb lacked suitable teeth for grinding food and so like birds would swallow rocks and use them as gizzard stones in the digestive tract these rocks would grind the food to aid in digestion after six weeks rocks would become too smooth to be useful and the animal would regurgitate them when finding and eating new rocks to use the animal would also swallow west indian lilac berries the fact that the berries and stones are regurgitated explains why Ellie never finds traces of them in the animal's excrement. Wow. Wow. Brilliant. Wow. I knew it
1: had something to do with bad teeth and eating something, but I, I couldn't quite work out. I couldn't remember what. That's a... That's, that's a good fact. Well done, IMDb and the world. That's, that's a great fact.
0: That's why I'm still in shock about that because I've never really even thought about it too tough. Like I just like been like, Oh, they didn't know, you know, it's a big part of the shit. They see it as Jeff Goldblum says, you know, and I just thought, Oh, unsolved mystery. But you get that beautiful moment of Grant, you know, like resting on the triceratops and it's breathing. Oh, that's, 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 that makes you want to read the book, doesn't it? (laughs) Absolutely. So, Harrison Ford was offered and turned down the role of Dr. Alan Grant as he felt that the part just wasn't right for him. After seeing the movie, he says that he had made the right decision. Wow. You could see... Do you know what's funny? When you were talking about Chris Pat earlier, he often gets uh, compared to being like a young Harrison Ford, you know, like having some of those... Not in like the way he looks or anything, but the way that he can have some sort of the dark humor, a bit like the Indiana Jones stuff about him. So, um, but I can see what he means actually, because I think what works with Grant and we'll get to the character breakdown in a minute, but he's got these sort of the the sensibilities to him. Like I could imagine, I could imagine Harrison Ford hating kids. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what, what do you think?
1: Harrison Ford's more not, not in everything because if you look at things like, the fugitive is is quite scientific and then becomes this bit more action hero. But I think if you put him in a Star Wars sort of context and stuff like that, he's he's like that all-action hero, and Indiana Jones, he's again he's scientist and he's kind of done that that role, if that makes sense, but without the it kind of has a slightly more serious edge, doesn't it? So he's got the the serious professor or Dr. Jones. And then he's the fun, adventurous person on in in secret on the side. But with this, he would have to be fairly serious and linear all the way through, and protective. I, 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 it's just not that, not necessarily the right balance for him. Yeah. So Chris Chris Pratt being compared to Harrison Ford is, is probably a good comparison, and you know, probably a bit of an honour for Chris Pratt. But he's kind of got the same sort of sensibility about him and that he can do serious this i need to figure this out about that and then has the fun on top of it whereas sam neill is is quite straight laced all the way through
0: yeah nice in 2005 paleontologist dr mary schweitzer discovered a red blood cell and soft tissue in the fossilized bone of a t-rex meaning dinosaur cloning may someday become a reality shut up that's what it says
1: what mate why isn't there a t-rex kicking about outside my house
0: well firstly if this uh, shit can happen if it if it can happen then it already happened we just don't know about it jeff
1: bezos get on the phone make a park sort the shit out, mate
0: though dom from watching this movie it might not be the best idea are you kind of missing the point of the whole franchise Parks, <laughs> parks don't work. Okay, Dom? <laughs> like, you packaged it and you're selling it. You're selling it. <laughs> <laughs> Quote from the film. Later you, to
1: come. Need, you needed a dining room table and plates yeah. to rattle. Uh,
0: I did. I did do that. You might not have picked it up. I'm hoping it picked it up on my microphone. I actually hurt my hand a little bit because I hit the edge of the table. I you
1: see it and, and it rumbled the camera. I, nice.
0: I just want you to know that You know, I was dedicated to that. I put myself. (laughs) Okay, so we'll just do a couple more. They're they're literally, there's like 200 here. Um, So we could do this for hours. But as we always say, if you want to check this stuff out, it's all on the internet and we could go on. There's so much to talk about, but, you know, we just want to get to, you know, what we think about it and hopefully share that with you. And then, you know, yeah. So... Steven Spielberg wanted the dinosaurs to be bird-like, which is obviously a theme throughout. For example, snapping to attention like a chicken. He wanted the raptors to turn their heads so they could look behind them to make them have a scarier appearance. Spielberg likened the raptor tapping its claw to Morse code to any other raptor listening. I think that might be a bit of a reach. Yeah,
1: that's a bit pushing it, I think.
0: John Williams scored the movie at the end of February, 1993 and recorded it a month later. He felt he needed to write pieces that would convey a sense of awe and fascination, given it dealt with the overwhelming happiness and excitement that would emerge from seeing live dinosaurs. I mean, the score is just something else. I mean, John Williams has got so many great scores, like, you know, in his discography. But this one, I don't know, there there is that sort of awe and excitement and wow factor that comes with it. Like it makes you think of the first time Grant sees that, you know, Grant and Ellie and Malcolm, they all see the dinosaurs for the first time. I mean it's it's one of the best ever. I'm gonna say it, I think it's my favourite movie score of all time.
1: It's definitely up there. Definitely.
0: Okay, so like I said, plenty more facts online. Check them out on IMDb. It could go on forever. But let's get into a synopsis. So this is a new format that we're going to try this, this week. So instead of doing scene by scene, we're going to do a brief synopsis of the movie as a whole, and then we're going to break it down character by character. So we'll go through each character of like the main cast, talk about their journey throughout the film and then talk about, you know, some of the pivotal scenes that they've been in and sort of do it that way. And then we will probably more than likely hit all of the major scenes anyway. But if we don't, then I have a list of talk worthy scenes just that we can give, you know, extra points to. And hopefully that will make the, uh, the flow of the podcast, you know, a little bit more sort of informal, uh, but still hitting all of the same stuff. So Dom, are you ready, my good ma'am? I am very ready. Then let's get into a synopsis. So this was written by met Cozen on IMDb. So on IMDb they have tons of synopsises. Is that a word synopsises or synopsi? Synopses. Sure. So. The- <laughs> So, this one I thought was like the right amount of length and kind of went into things in, in the right amount of detail. So, here is a synopsis for Jurassic Park. On Isla Nubla, a new park has just been built with genetically engineered dinosaurs. Tragedy strikes when one of the workers is killed by a velociraptor. The founder of the park, John Hammond, Sir Richard Attenborough, requests paleontologist, Dr. Alan Grant, Sam Neill, and his assistant, Dr. Ellie Sattler, Laura Dern, to come to the park and ensure that it is safe. Also joining them are Hammond's lawyer, Donald Gennaro, and chaotician, Dr. Ian Malcolm, played by Jeff Goldblum. When they reach the island, they are amazed to discover that Hammond has created living dinosaurs. However, at the same time, they all have their doubts. Later, Hammond's grandchildren, Lex and Tim, played by Ariana Richards and Joseph Mazzello, join the group in a tour of the park. Sattler leaves the tour to take care of an ill triceratops. Soon, the power in the park is shut down by computer system geek Dennis Nedry, played by Wayne Knight, who wishes to steal embryos from the park to sell to a secret buyer. In the process, many dinosaurs escape their paddocks, including the deadly Tyrannosaurus rex, who during a thunderstorm escapes his paddock and attacks the children and eats Gennaro. Malcolm is injured and Grant and the children are then lost in the park. Meanwhile, Hammond, Sattler and the rest of the operations team learn that Nedry, who in the meantime has been killed, has locked up the computer system to cover his tracks. They attempt to get power back in the park in order to escape the island. After shutting down the system, then restoring it, the group realises that philosophical raptors are also on the loose and are now on the hunt for the visitors. So that, in a nutshell, is what happens in Jurassic Park. But of course, we need to go through this film. As a synopsis, how did you find it?
1: That's pretty good. Quite detailed. Doesn't give too much away if you haven't seen it before, but I mean, the film came out in 1993,
0: so if you haven't seen it
1: before, it's probably because you're four.
0: What I thought would be quite a cool thing is if we do a synopsis each week, then I thought perhaps one of our listeners might like to voice record themselves reading a synopsis that they've found online or that they've maybe even written themselves. And then we could use that and play that on the podcast. And it could be a cool way for listeners to be involved in the process. What do you think? Sure. Why not? Yeah. let's give him a go. He signs off on it.
2: <laughs> so
0: let's move into our first character. I figured the first person we have to talk about is of course, hammond because without hammond we would not have a jurassic park or have a movie so he is played by sir richard attenborough who was in miracle on 34th street he directed Gandhi. he won two oscars for that and you know is renowned for just being a legend i mean do you know much about sir richard attenborough uh
1: Yes, I'm a big fan of, of war films and stuff as we know and he was in uh, The Great Escape which is like the the war film of war films really. Uh, he's in A Bridge Too Far as well which is a 1977 film which oh, it's just got absolutely everyone in it. Uh, he's just done loads. Miracle on 34th Street was like a favourite when I was growing up. Um, like a favourite Christmas film. Uh, his version anyway because obviously there's a a much like a lot of black and white version as well, um, but it's really good in that, just loads of stuff. I've, I've got a, a like an interesting little fact about Richard Attenborough and Jurassic Park, if you're
0: interested. Of course, I am.
1: So, apparently, during filming, there was a like a massive hurricane hit the island where they were um, at the time, and everyone. All the cast and crew and stuff that was staying in this hotel they'd been told they had to stay in the massive dining room such like ballroom kind of thing, and they all had to stay there because it was the safest room to be in the only one that didn't was Richard Attenborough and when someone asked him why he didn't, he said something along the lines of and I'm paraphrasing, my dear boy, I lived through the blitz <laughs> so he he like he's just slept through this hurricane i absolutely no like. But just didn't bat an eyelid, didn't wake up. They're like, "How have you done that?" And he's just like, "You know, live through the blitz, whatever. It's nothing."
0: That's awesome.
1: Bit, bit of wind ain't gonna stop me. Kind of, kind of uh, attitude, which is great.
0: That's awesome. Well, his character Hammond. So let's talk about him. So, what I like about his character is that he he's not made to be the antagonist like he he learns and goes through a character arc but he is not like evil like he is not the the evil figurehead he's not doing this to create money like he's got all of his money he's doing this because he he wants to do it you know he he's in awe of it all you know um i mean we, we get introduced to him he comes in the helicopter he magically appears in their trailer. He pops their champagne and he wins them over, you know, saying that he's going to fund their dig for another two or three years if they would come along with him. I mean, what what did you think of his entrance? What do you think of the Hammond character?
1: So watching it as a kid, you think, oh, this is really exciting. This really exciting man. He's just appeared. He's going to, he wants them to come and endorse the park. He's going to give them money to do what, like whatever they want with it for, for the next three years, it's, um, for their digs and their, you know, basically doing their paleontology thing. It, you know, he seems like quite a sweet, humble man that obviously has a lot of money, but like you said, he's doing it for the attraction side of it rather than any sort of financial gain. Everything is spared no expense, isn't it?
0: Spared no absolutely,
1: expense. Absolutely everything's right. Spared no expense because he wants to throw money at it so that it's fun and enjoyable. When they're at the dining room table and the lawyer's like, it could be anything from 1,000 to 10,000 pounds a day, dollars a day. And he's like, no, 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 no. This, this needs to be for everyone. This isn't about, you know, just the rich and powerful coming to see these diners. This, this has got to be for everyone.
0: We'll have a coupon day.
1: Which is what I was going to get to, and he's like, "Ha yeah, sure, coupon day." However, however, this sweet, lovely, old, humble man is really not disclosing all the information because he's turned up and said, "I want you to come and see my park. I own an island in Costa Rica. I want you to come and see it. I've got this park. It's right up your alley. Um, you'll really enjoy it. You'll love it. I really, I want you to sign off in it." What he's failed to mention is that it's all because of a lawsuit of one of the members of staff being ripped to shreds by a Velociraptor and being eaten. And the family is suing the company and he needs people to sign off it or the investors won't put money into it anymore.
0: And that whole lawsuit bit, so when, and we'll get to Gennaro, but when he's talking to the, the head miner, when he you know, he gets off of the boat right at the beginning and they're talking and it's exposition of, well, we need people to sign off on the park because there's a $20 million lawsuit. All of that would have gone way over my head, you know, as a kid. But uh, yeah. I,
1: I was thinking exactly the same earlier as well. I, I, it wasn't until adult life and watching it that I, I'd realized that the whole point of this film is because of that guy at the beginning, Joffrey, getting eaten alive.
0: Really. Yeah, if that hadn't have happened, we're assuming then it would have the park would have opened, right?
1: Exactly. I would have been deemed safe. So, it, he, although he's that, like I said, that sweet, humble man, there's this underlying of I'm not going to fully disclose the truth because you'll a- already come to my island and to my attraction with a, a preconception that it's dangerous. And I don't want you to do that. I want you to turn up and defend me, which we know doesn't end up being the case
0: well when they when he he later has the scene with Laura Dern's character and they're talking he's talking about the flea circus and it's like almost for him it's like he he wants to be in control I think like he wants to be the one that's giving it to the world in a way like in terms of he's manipulating people and he's the last one to submit that, no, the park's not safe. You know, like he's fighting for it and fighting for it. But more, I think, for himself to be the one that's given this to the world rather than it being, not in like a vanity way, but like he's he's so desperate for it to, to work out that he compromises the safety of all of these people and sort of like you're saying is not being forefront with, All of the information he's he's sort of manipulating people to get them there, but inherently, I think Richard Attenborough is the vibe he brings. Is he's so sort of nice and sort of lovable, and then the fact that his grandpa as well, you kind of trust him. Yeah, inherently,
1: and that's a great sort of technique and device in the film, isn't it? To make you feel so comfortable with this person, make him feel like he's your family, and then for him to have such close personal relationships with people and he's he feels like that man of the people doesn't he when he first meets um dr grant and dr sattler he's so oh john hammond nice to meet you and he's standing there and you can see dr grant's thinking john hammond john hammond Hammond." shit this is the man that signs the checks he just he chucks money at us and we do we do stuff he's funding all of our projects and He's a multi-millionaire or whatever, and he's standing in front of me. This, is, this doesn't happen. Um, uh, they even say they don't know any lawyers at that point. They definitely don't know any millionaires. So he's, he's kind of that comfortable... He's not. It feels like he's not come from money and he's built his way up, but he just wants the attractions to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And like you said, he can't accept the fact that um, it's all gone horribly wrong. So when they're having ice cream at that table... And he says, next time it's going to be this, and next time it's going to be that. And we know now what we've done wrong and what, what, how to put it right. And she's like, "You're mental. You can't. You can't do it again. People have. People have died. This is it. This is the end." And it's not until later on, like he said, that he fin- finally accepts it. And he is the last one to say, "Yeah, me. Uh, uh, you know, accept." Uh, Doctor Grant says you know Mr Hammond with careful consideration I've decided not to endorse your park or you know along those lines and he's like yeah so have I or me too or whatever so it takes him pretty much the entire film to work out that it's a bad idea.
0: Yeah yeah well said. (laughs) Great love it well I mean some sort of key moments for him as well I mean we've touched on some there but there's the scene where he they're at the the lunch table after they've been to like the philosophy Raptor a bit. And this is where you get great discussion from Jeff Goldblum's character and, and the lawyer. And he's a kind of sitting there is, you know, he's, even in that point, he says, no, no, no. I want to hear everyone's perspective. Like he's not completely ignorant at all or anything like that. (laughs) I love it when he's doing the ride, you know, like the Mr. DNA bit and he's doing He's talking to himself, you know, like, hey, John, I need to take a bit of your blood. And he sort of gets the timing wrong. It's like the, those little touches make it feel more, it, it puts you in the movie even more because it's like, oh, that's how it would be in real life. You wouldn't just get it. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah,
1: because uh, the character walks up on the screen, which is him, and goes, oh, hello, John. And he goes, hello, John. And he's like, oh, I've got a little script. Hold on. And he goes, Fine, fine. The, yeah. the screen version goes fine, fine. So obviously he's gonna go, How are you? Go, oh, well, you know, and, and it goes from there. Um however it does mean that he would have to be there every time they did that talk.
0: I thought that, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, so, hey man, look, I know you you know you're rich and everything, but you, it me probably means you've got a lot of responsibility as well. You probably got a yeah. lot of meetings, like They're just
1: gonna have to find a guy called John <laughs> to to fill in that gap for a while.
0: Oh, of course. I'm sort of doing this in the wrong order. When we first get into Jurassic Park and he's proudly sort of shows Grant and Ellie and Malcolm like the dinosaurs for the first time. And even in that moment, he tells the guy that's driving the Jeep. He's just like, well, no, stay down, slow down, hit, hit, hit. Like he gets a bit controlling over them because it's like, like, we need to put the show on, you know. And he, he sort of has it planned out how he wants this to go, if you know what I mean.
1: And and he's got probably one of the most iconic lines in the whole film and potentially in the franchise where he says, at that point, Dr, Dr. Grant, my, my dear Dr. Dr Sattler, welcome, welcome to, to Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park. I'm in. Music kicks off, we're looking at all the dinosaurs in the, the lake and yeah, it's mega.
2: Moving herds (laughs) how do you do this i'll show
0: you we'll get to that bit when we get to grant but um yeah and (laughs) for some reason one of the the lines that he says that always sticks in my head is you know the bit where later in the movie and Ellie is trying to put the power on, and he's talking to her over the radio, and he's like, there's, there's, a, there's a big lever, it's flat and grey. And he's like, you need to pump it up or whatever, and then he just says, da 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 push it. It's the way he says push it.
1: Uh, uh, just- it's like, there's a, bus- there's a button that says push to close. Push it.
0: That, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I don't know why. it Just it's the cadence of it. I don't know. But it's funny because, as I was saying that, I could see you mouthing along with me. It's the yeah, push. <laughs> like, well, you maybe we should do these on
1: video anymore.
0: <laughs> I actually think one of the best bits of acting in the whole movie comes from Hammond as well, uh, which is when Hammond, yeah. the phones are working. And then you just hear in the background, he's coming through the glass. And the raptor jumps through the glass and you just hear him go, Grant! Ah! I'm going to insert that. I'm going to insert the audio here because it's too, I can't, no one can do it justice. Grant, Mr. Hammond, the phones are working. The children alive. Right. But the scream, yeah. it's so like blood curdling because he thinks like he's hearing his grandchildren being murdered by the genetic dinosaurs that he created. <laughs> absolutely,
1: yeah. It's a fantastic bit. He absolutely belts that out, doesn't he? And it is, yeah, a great bit.
0: I, good, good, good. Actually, I actually rewound it on my viewing last night I was like <laughs> that's too good I've got to hear that again
1: <laughs> there's there's some great little bits that, he, that he's got like when they're in the helicopter at the beginning or near the beginning and he's talking to uh, Dr Malcolm and he calls him a mathematician and stuff like that and Dr Malcolm keeps touching his leg touches yeah. his leg twice he goes I do wish you wouldn't do that and he just like put like just little bits like that his little touches so he obviously knows this person and this person thinks that he can get away with it. And he's just like, stop it. And he just like, hits him away. And there's little, these little frustrations that, that come out that are actually quite amusing. And he says, like, I bring the scientist, you bring the rock star, yeah. you know, and, and all sorts of uh, little... It's just that, you know, he seems like a really sensible man. But like we've said before, he's not fully disclosing everything. It's, it's, it's like a Shakespeare play. Let's hear it. The is just, if you don't fully really d- disclose it all, then, you know, people die. And that's, that's what happens in, in Shakespeare. We Look at all of them. King Lear, Thello, the whole lot, all the tragedies. They don't tell the truth. People die.
0: Do they die hard or die soft? They die hard. You had to, didn't you? Insert. Hans. <laughs>
2: Boobie. <Toby. laughs>
0: the, uh, all right, so let's think about Hammond's then completion of his arc for this movie. So, does he end up? Has he learned anything? Yes, he has because he know he agrees with Grant that the the park shouldn't be open. Yeah. Any anything else you want to add with Hammond? Any points, scenes, anything?
1: No, I think we like it. Just his limp. She's got a pronounced limp the whole way through, and I'm not really sure the necessity behind it other than him having that cane. But he could have just had that cane anyway. But
0: that cane me. is so so cool. Like if I ever at any point, you know, suffer from any kind of leg injury or something, please, Dom, I'm speaking to you specifically, supply me with a cane replica, okay? Dom, you heard it here first. <laughs> excellent so that's hammond let's move on to grant let's played by sam neill who has been in a ton of things his filmography is huge he was in event horizon bicentennial man have you seen bicentennial man robin williams I have.
1: yeah yeah good film he's the
0: like dad of the
1: family isn't he
0: i used to love that movie i haven't seen him i mean time.
1: not not robbie williams
0: is it a 90s film? 1999. Hey. Oh.
1: We can cover that. Love Get it. that one in there.
0: And he's been he's been in in loads loads of he's things. He's in uh The
1: Hunt for Red October, which is a great film if you've ever seen that.
0: I have not. I've heard of it. 1990. Okay, it's in
1: there. We, we can chuck that one in, my friend.
0: He's done <laughs> he's done a lot of TV stuff as well
1: currently in Peaky Blinders isn't he okay Or most recently that I've seen anyway he's in Peaky Blinders
0: so a a long and successful career Grant is arguably the main character I mean I know that it's kind of shared across the board but I think you could make a strong argument that he's the lead protagonist would you say
1: oh absolutely I, I would have always thought that if if he'd said to me he's the main character in the film I would have said
0: Dr Grant absolutely and you know what's what's crazy actually is the movie poster for this never mentions any of the cast. It's the only person it mentions is Spielberg. Like they sold this on Jurassic Park, Spielberg. Like it was on, and that's rare when you think of it that a movie is sold solely on the director. That speaks to Spielberg's power, especially in the '90s. But I mean, and and it's a big cast. I mean, at this point, it's this isn't like. You know, throw in like a, you know, a Tom Cruise of today, or you know, someone that sells the film on their own. These are, you know, yes, they've had big careers, but this was sold as as a Spielberg movie.
1: Wow, I didn't know that. Did not know that at all. That's that's very interesting.
0: So Grant, we're introduced to him. We're uh, on the site of the dig he's mentioned just before and i i never picked this up until like you know adult life by the miner that's like grant's like me he's a digger you won't get him out <laughs> of where dom colorado montana oh it's close it feels <laughs> it feels close i have no idea if it is or not
2: <laughs> I don't
0: <know>. it's america <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dear. So, and then we're introduced to...
1: Because Grant's like me.
0: He's a digger. <laughs> but what I quite like about that scene is it shows that Grant is, like, known, you know, in this subculture world of dinosaur digging or whatever. And then we go to the, to the dig site. We get this great section where he threatens a child <laughs> with the philosopher out to claw.
1: I've I labelled him the turkey kid. Mm-hmm. That doesn't look very scary. More like a six-foot turkey. Hate that kid.
0: Yeah, they're very memorable though. Considering if you think about it from that perspective, that kid gets what forty five seconds of screen time. I've been I can picture that kid I, I I can remember what they're wearing, like it's uh he had an impact. So
1: Did. Played by Wit Hartford. That's who played the kid.
0: Did they have but, a career?
1: Uh, yeah. I think I think they're like an actor, director, writer kind of person. Like, now they do stuff theatres in it all over, all over you know, the place. They it, actually, uh, he studied over here as well. A little
0: Oh, okay. He, uh, yeah, that'd be such an amazing conversation piece. Of like, everyone knows is going to know him. Like, if you but not know him, if you know what I mean? Like yeah. You could be like. You know, Jurassic Park, you see Jurassic Park. Yes, everyone has, of course. The kid that gets threatened at the beginning, it was me. (laughs) But but, that bit is all perfect foreshadowing. Like when you watch it on repeat, like the way that they build up the the raptors from the beginning was the fact that, and then you get attacked, but not by the raptor in front of you, the two from the side that you didn't even know was there. And, you know, the way that, that he paints it and then obviously just scares the shit out of this kid. But also everything that he says comes to fruition, you know, later in the film against uh, Muldoon.
1: But he also has a, um, like Sam Neill, his character arc. I know we talked about Hammonds at, at the end, but let's talk about his now. He goes from being a computer hating, child hating paleontologist to, you know, computers have saved us a little bit by children getting them working. (laughs) Ah. Kind of I I can appreciate this now.
0: So I like that. I didn't think of that connection. Yeah. To the kids (laughs) the kids and the technology actually saved the day, yeah.
1: Yeah, Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) This is this is you know I have these little weird theories that the most sort of random character is the actual hero. Lex Lex is the actual hero of the whole film. She saves the day, technically. Technically.
0: Yeah, that's no, true. It's true. They we'll talk about that, though, because. <laughs>
1: but so we're talking about Dr. Grant, aren't we? Said.
0: Well, yeah, I have a theory that Tim could have done something with that shotgun to help out, but we'll get to that.
1: Anyway, we'll come back to that.
0: <laughs> if I pass you a shooter, a shotty, I want you to use it.
1: <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, back to Dr. Grant. Go on then. Give me yeah. some
0: pearls. Pearls of wisdom. Well, don't know about pearls, but that's so. Yeah. So, introduce. He has this relationship with Ellie where they're together, but they don't. They're, they're like together, but is it stated? Is it exclusive? He allows like Malcolm to, you know, basically touch her hair and her face and her hands all in front of him, or she lets that happen. Maybe it's a disrespect that way. There's a weird I mean, dynamic going on there.
1: I think Grant's actually a little bit jealous of it, wasn't he? Because, because there's one, because Dr. Malcolm says, is, is Dr. Sattler, you know, available or are you a thing? And he's like, yeah, we are. Fucking back off, son. For so, um, You get more shooter. Shoot her. Um But he, their relationship is very clinical. It's kind of the way I would describe it in that throughout the whole time there's other people around she calls him Dr. Grant and that's probably like uh, we're on site we're doing this dig this is kind of he's in charge of it this is what other people need to call him so I'll go along with it it's like when other, a teacher calls another teacher Mrs. Whatever or Mr. Whatever um, it's kind of that sort of feeling to it and then when they're walking away and she's Uh, Meg walking back up the hill and she's calling him Alan and they're talking it's just the way that they describe she describes eventually wanting to have children obviously I think obviously meaning with him and he's just like babies smell and they're expensive and this that and the other and she and he just has absolutely zero interest again she's quite again clinical and scientific in what she's saying it's not you know it's not like difficult science but it's not I really want a kid, and, and but she does say, "Yeah, you know, I do eventually want to procreate and breed, or something like that is Is pretty much what she says.
0: Yeah, that's true. I, yeah, I've never thought about it that she's calling him, yeah, Doctor Grant, and yeah, it's good. One of the best scenes and most iconic scenes in in the whole movie, and it kind of centers around though they're all there, it kind of centers in on Grant. Is when they first get to the island and. You see the dinosaurs for the first time and then, and as you said earlier the music kicks in it's the first time as an audience that we're seeing the dinosaurs and they're treat is treated with such awe and like wow look at it i can't believe it's happening he's like hyperventilating head in between his legs they do move in herds he's saying you know this thing doesn't live in a swamp like he's he's looking at it like a child is looking at an N64 in like 1994. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> I can't <laughs> believe they've done it and it's here. Like <laughs> it's a terrible example, but, but you know what I mean? It's um, he's got that childlike wonder to him. Yeah. And, and as an audience, it's like, we're treating the, the dinosaurs with like respect is probably an odd way to say it, but, but Spielberg uses the dinosaurs just the right amount through the film right, and teases it. And that comes with the velociraptors that we'll get to later. And they talk about the T-Rex here when you know we clock the T-Rex at 35 miles an hour. It's like it's telling us as the audience, there is a T-Rex, you're going to see it, but you're not going to see it until an hour into this film because we're going to build up the suspense. Like they, they, they earn the moment. And again, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but that's why the moment a T-Rex comes out of its paddock it's so impactful because it it's been earned. It's been, we're in the second in the second Jurassic Park and the other ones like in the third Jurassic Park you get like the T Rex in the first like ten minutes. Yeah, and it's like, well, you, you haven't built me up to anything, you know. Mm. Sorry,
1: if, if you start with a big gun straight away, then you kind of lose. You might lose your audience a little bit.
0: Completely. Sorry, I went a bit off track there. Um, it, it, this bit of trivia blew me away, and I love this. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay, so, and it obviously is about Grant. So when Grant is on the helicopter, he's trying to, they're saying, oh, the helicopter is going to go a bit up and down as they're trying to land, and mm-hmm. they will put their seat belts on, and he can't put his seatbelt on. Do you remember this part? I remember. Right. Now, the reason he can't get his seatbelt on is because he has... Two female ends of a seatbelt. So, like the dinosaurs on Jurassic Park, that are all female and they're not able to breed, right? But Malcolm says life finds a way, so he finds a way of getting them to work by tying them together.
1: Is is that is that an intentional plot device?
0: It has to be. So I read that. I've, I've known that for a long time. I, I, someone told me that or I heard that or something about a year ago. Then when I watched it this time, I was like, that has to be a plot device because why else would you put this in? Like as if, in if,
1: if that's an intentional plot device, that's genius.
0: How is it not? Because they focus <laughs> on the fact that they focus on his, like trying to get it to work and then ties it. And he sort of gives that little smile, you know, and it's like life finds a way. He found a way to make it work.
1: I've only sort of seen that as he's just a man of his means. He can just improvise and it's fine. We're good. He's not that adventurous, but I mean, he's adventurous because he digs up dinosaurs for a living. That's that's amazing in deserts and stuff like that, but he can turn around and go, that's not working. i will whack this together and that'll do.
0: You could say but, he finds a way, like life does.
1: Oh no, uh, the life finds a way thing. Yeah, this, this, you make you blow my mind. The whole so, film is based on a helicopter seatbelt.
0: Well, it's <laughs> perfect as well because that's the entrance to coming to Jurassic Park. You know, that's him coming in. It's the two female ends, like that's I,
1: that's the first instance of the music as well, isn't
0: it? Yeah,
1: that's the ba ba That's first time we hear it.
0: You did that very well. Thanks. Talk to me about Grant.
1: He has a very nice neckerchief. <laughs> There's yes. a lot of denim with him and uh, Doctor Sattler.
0: Yeah.
1: Very much double denim, gang, aren't they?
0: They are. They
1: are. Um, I think he he's got a really strong character. He he clearly doesn't like children. Clearly, quite happy doing what he's doing. Wants to do it for longer. Is absolutely amazed when he's offered three more years and all he's got to do is go and check out John Hammond's attraction and then he kind of goes through that whole phase of this is how things should be and this is, this is, this is the job I do and this is what life is and I spend my life looking at dead animals and I have my theories and I, I kind of feel like he's like a discredited scientist in a way in that everyone sort of laughs at him when he talks about them being like birds of prey. Everyone has a little giggle. And these people are there to sort of, you know, obviously on the dig because they are either paleontologists or archaeologists or scientists or whatever. And they have a little giggle at him. And then when he's talking to Tim, when Tim first appears and they're chatting by the cars and says, I read your book. And it says that, you know, that that you think that they're related to birds and, and um, blah 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 and he, he even has to kind of say there's like only some species and he tries to then avoid the conversation because it almost feels like he's been discredited for having this theory and then when he goes to the next car and tim's going "Oh, my teachers told me about this other book and, blah, blah, blah. and he just shuts the door because he's just like Do you know what i've heard all of this before this is probably why he doesn't like kids and because they'll just no inhibitions and they'll just say whatever um uh, you know, I'm here for a job, and I'm going to do that job, and just see what happens. And I'm amazed already by what I've seen. I don't need a child to ruin that experience for me now. But he he does say throughout. He then changes throughout, doesn't he? He says, you know, someone asks him what what he's going to do next, and he said, well, you know, like like this has evolved. I I have to evolve, and we have to evolve and change what we do. And he he does evolve. I think he probably has the biggest change in terms of his actions towards other people becomes a lot more caring, you know, looks after the kids right at the end in the helicopter they're both, you know, with him, they feel safe with him and he becomes the the protector.
0: Yeah. Very well said. He, he has brilliant moments where like, again, sort of playing the awe factor, like when they're doing the Mr. DNA bit and then they go and see the the scientists and they see Henry Wu. And uh and you know, all, all of the scientists and all of that. Like again, his and he has the baby philosopher. A bit that I only just saw for the first time in the last viewing is when Hammond is like, they imprint on the first person they see, and you know, so I like to be here for for all of the births Uh Grant is sort of trying to get in front of, of the little baby philosopher and is pointing at himself to be like, imprint on me, imprint on me. <laughs> But he Don't sort of, he <laughs> yeah, he sort of plays that childlike awe so well that I, I like the moments that you just said with with the kids at the beginning, and then he kind of really comes into his own when the T Rex comes out of the paddock. Is is this an appropriate time to to talk about that moment? Because I mean, he kind of, or should we leave that for when we, when the kids come in?
1: You can talk about that moment if you want. If you're talking about his involvement in it,
0: the T Rex comes out. I am gonna go out there and say this might be my favorite scene of a movie maybe ever it's definitely in the top five just that one scene my wife and I when we we moved house last year and my parents very kindly bought us a a moving in present which was a tv and dare I say it's delicious it's like the it is its it's nice and it's massive. Yes. And I mean it's still <laughs> a thing that I you know I can say because I I you know I didn't buy it for myself, it was a gift. Um, but it's yeah, I love it. And I hooked it all up and everything. And the first thing I was like, I need to test it out. I need to see, you know, the, the quality of all of this. And the first thing I put on was that scene of Jurassic Park on Netflix, and it was just like, wow, this <laughs> This scene is incredible. Like the way it comes out still, it like makes your jaw drop. And then like when it gives that initial roar, the suspense of seeing the water, like the water effect is so iconic and like it's like you feel the the weight of it through the screen. It is magical, Dom.
1: <laughs> I completely agree. Completely agree. I think they it took them a while to work out how to do it how to do the ripple and get it right and um the fact that it is just it's that jaws moment isn't it when we first see jaws in the water and it's huge and it it comes out of nowhere and rips people apart and stuff like that and it's that build up and the suspense and the the goat has gone missing Where's the goat bangs like the carcasses on the roof and then all of a sudden you see this claw pull down the electrical wire and and then it just appears this massive massive dinosaur just appears and gives up this full amazing blast of roar and just scares the crap out of everyone and uh, it's kind of at that moment where grant is you know kind of feels like he has to come into his own a little bit here this is this is almost his might moment to shine because he knows how these things are predicted to have worked you know so they start flashing the light and stuff like that and he's like, oh, shit, don't, you know, turn the light off, turn the light off and then all sorts of problems happen and then when the T-Rex smashes up the first car with the kids in it, he then sort of goes to try and save the day and is like, don't move, they can't see us if we don't move. It's it's though all those bits that that's his knowledge and stuff like that but such an iconic moment.
0: Hey, 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 <laughs> with the, uh with the, the flare, uh, flare yeah. So... Apparently
1: Sam Neil burnt himself really badly with that flare. When they were filming. Oh. When it, when he lit it, a bit of the the phosphorus came flicked off the flare and went behind his watch and burnt Ooh. a hole in his arm. Oh. Yeah. Dad didn't know that until uh, fairly recently.
0: Though a cool story for that scar though. Hey. This scar is from one of the most iconic moments in cinematic history. That That is not an exaggeration. That scene is up. If they were to do a montage of like the last 50 years of cinema or just all cinema, and it would that would have to be a flash of that in there. Absolutely. So we have, we have those moments. We have the whole thing of then, yeah, him, he's, uh, puts his hand over Lexi's mouth when she's screaming, saves the kids. The, the the Jeep goes over the edge, which unfortunately, unfortunately there is a little bit of an issue here, isn't there, Dom? I can see by your face that you're already aware. Because <laughs> that edge wasn't there when the T-Rex came out. Unless this T-Rex is the size of like, you know, an 80 story building. <laughs> That's a bit of yeah. a drop. But hey, but you know what? You forgive it because who cares? It's such an amazing moment, you know. Absolutely, it's earned the credit that you don't. You're not bothered by it.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely agree.
0: But that whole scene of you know where him and Lex are on the rope and they're swinging, and there's as the car comes down with Tim in it, and then Tim stuck in the tree, climbing up the tree. We're back in the car again, like that whole segment brilliant the when they climb up the tree and they have that whole uh moment with the uh oh what are they called the long neck ones gallimimus is that what they are the, the long the one that sneezes on legs i think the gallimimus uh, are the ones that get but i
1: thought you meant the little running one the ones that are running after them the um
0: yeah there we go the bra- yeah that that whole moment where and tim's telling him the jokes and yeah like you said uh those earlier in the film they're like you know under his arms like that is all great character building and really sweet moments in it makes the film more well-rounded He he
1: kind of goes from being quite an uptight person probably quite protective of his work as well and if this slight little theory I've got of him being discredited slightly in in his world has made him that uptight, and then um, it's almost like he works out that life is important, and not worrying about that sort of thing. It, it it's got to, he's got to sort of take that out of his mind and focus on the things he enjoys and and stuff like that, and, and maybe having a family in a future and. Um, that's why we then get these kind of touching moments and he he eases up a bit he he actually starts to care about people rather than bones of dinosaurs
0: yeah nice we get the the great moment of what you were just saying the the gallaminus where they're flocking look like birds they're running in formation and uh little fact about this dom i have actually stood in that place where they filmed that bit my wife and i went to hawaii a few years ago and there's a tour on it's a ranch that's called Kualu ranch it's actually where they filmed all of the jurassic park movies jurassic world all of them they film like lost there and uh all kinds basically anytime they need to, an american movie that needs to look like it's in you know a tropical island somewhere obviously hawaii is like that but you know <laughs> uh they yeah they they do it in hawaii and i guess a lot of it's to do with because it's part of the u.s like for permits and filming stuff like that they call it hollywood's lot, like this branch <laughs> in hawaii but yeah it's amazing um they actually still have that tree that they hide behind
2: oh
0: yeah and you can take pictures with it and stuff if anyone ever gets to go to uh hawaii which is definitely kind of like feels like a once in a lifetime kind of deal make sure you get to koali ranch especially if you're a fan of this uh movie because it's awesome but yeah that whole scene is awesome you get good shots of the t-rex again and then of course we get tim toast on the fence it's a nice moment as well you know i'll catch you For a minute there, we're not sure if Tim's going to be all right. Grant saves the day again.
1: He kind of keeps saving the day, doesn't he? Until until we get to the, the Jeep at the end and they're all sort of driving off.
0: Yeah, I mean, we I guess there's the bit in the computer room as well where him and Ellie are, like, holding the door with the raptor at the door. And we'll talk more about that, I'm sure, as we get through to some of the other characters. But, yeah, I think you you summed up his arc perfectly. So that is Grant. Do you have anything else to say about Grant?
1: No, I think we got most of it with Grant.
0: Then let's move on to Ellie. Dr. Sattler, played by Laura Dern, who was in Blue Velvet. She was in Marriage Story, which she won an Oscar for last year. Wow. Yeah. So she's uh having a, a really successful career. She is making a return for Jurassic World Free. That's pretty cool.
1: She was in Star Wars as well, wasn't she?
0: Uh what I like the the recent ones. But, uh, she was in The Last Jedi, yeah. Oh nice. I actually haven't seen that one yet.
1: I can't think of anything else if she's coming back to the franchise i like that's going to be quite interesting because she's in the third what third jurassic park film because yeah. sam neill tries to phone her
0: doesn't yeah mean, when she... they're, like
1: singing in the boat
0: yeah she's kind of like in like three scenes or something but she's just on the end of the phone it's like one of them ones where it's like we'll pay you to be in the film and she's like yeah okay i'll be in it but not all the way in it you know yeah like,
1: and technically, she saves the day in that one because she's the one that calls like the National Guard or whatever to go and get them off the island. So. That's it,
0: yeah. <laughs> what did you think of the character of Laura Dern? Oh, <laughs> character of
1: Laura Dern was she was in The Last Jedi. And
0: <laughs> what do you think of the character of Dr. Ellie Sattler? I actually think she's
1: quite... She's actually quite good. She's got that sense of independence and... um She doesn't really rely on anyone else. And that sounds a bit weird, but in at the beginning you you kind of see the connection between her and Dr. Grant. You can see there's something there. But it's not obvious that they're a couple. Like um, they're not like all over each other or anything like that. There's a there's a professional side to it. And she's very professional and then caring as well. Um, but has her own action scenes and stuff like that i mean if you if you look at her from the from the beginning she's she can hold her own and she holds her own with grant as well because he'll be like the the whole like baby smell conversation let's let's call it that she's like yeah but you know i I want one of those this is what's going to happen in my life she's i think she's kind of she's got a plan she knows what she wants um whereas he hasn't got a click he just knows what he wants in terms of his work and stuff but she knows she's kind of got a plan and a, I need to have these sort of things done by this time that's what that's the sense I get from her and she kind of speaks her mind as well there's the, there's only one point where she stops where she goes well oh, who's the jerk that whatever when she goes to storm in when the helicopter appears on the, the dig site and she realizes that it's John Hammond and so she sort of immediately shuts up but she's not afraid of taking the, the mick out of Grant you know, especially in front of other people. We know when he touches the monitor,
2: mm-hmm. and it all
1: goes all fuzzy, and she sort of takes the mick out of him a little bit. But as it goes on, she's quite like engaging with all the other characters as well. She's yeah, as a as a standalone character, I think she's actually quite good.
0: She has that great exchange with Hammond later in the movie when his like Hammond is like, "Well, it should be me going because I'm a, and you're a." And then she's like, we'll talk about sexism in like, I can't remember like extreme situations or something like that. When I get back But to her, it was never question. It was like, I, I don't need you. I'm going to look after myself, pass me the weapon. Like she's very much, she's like a great, she's just a great hero and her gender has nothing to do with it. And, and I love that. <laughs> and gender has nothing to do with it in her mind, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's brilliant. I think she's a really good strong character from the off and she stays consistent and she's actually a character that you could argue doesn't really learn anything because she doesn't need to. Like there's not really any major development. She's more her purpose is more there to help do the teaching, like to Hammond in that scene about the flea circus etc, you know.
1: I I think she's actually there to push Grant's character and his development more than anything because she's even the one that sends when he shuts tim in the other car she's the one that sends lex over and lex says she said i should ride with you because it'd be good for you and she's the one that's always constantly trying to push into, to that next point going you know you need to get used to having kids around and getting used to teenagers and stuff like that because i, I want one of those with you and if if that isn't going to happen then i'll find someone else and we know from the third one that she does so
0: so she has some of her key points i mean we've spoken about the um you know the first time they see the dinosaurs i mean one of her main parts is the triceratops um she squeezes like the pus spot on its tongue that's (laughs) grim but she straight away, she knows about the lilac and that they're toxic and, you know, I need to see its droppings. Dino droppings, droppings. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's probably the the really good thing is that it made her a paleobotanist. So she understands the biology of it and she understands the, the plant side. So she knows what she's looking at. And that's why she's going to ask those questions because that's her her job or she's looking at like the leaf at the beginning she's like, this is impossible this is extinct how is this here um and then she sees this big fuck off 20 foot dinosaur you know standing behind her um
0: <laughs> she also she points out the fact that um at that dinner or the lunch where they're all sort of going back and forth and she's like you know you've got plants in the lobby that are toxic but you have them there because they look nice. Like she's also got a bit of like fire to her as well.
1: She's very savvy. She's not, she's not there. You know, this, this is not a, trying to not to make this a sexist point of view at all, but she, it's quite the opposite. She's not there for what I can or anything like that. Not taking anything away from her because in the film she's an attractive woman, but she's also very headstrong she knows exactly what she's doing, exactly what she's talking about. She's incredibly smart. And actually she, you, you know, kind of controls certain bits. She's She's got this hold on um, Dr. Malcolm that he's like, he's planning his fourth wife or something like that.
0: The next ex-Mrs. Malcolm.
1: <laughs> yeah, basically. She's only interested in the in the science, like the chaos theory that he's he's talking about and going through and the butterfly effect. And she, she even goes like, you know, Tell me more. I want to. You know, she wants to learn, but all she really, really comes into her own, like you said, with the Triceratops, and she's going through everything, and she even stays there, doesn't she? They get back in the cars and bugger off, and she stays there with the the guy that works on the park and trying to get to the bottom of why the Triceratops isn't well, and yeah, just trying to get to the bottom of everything, and then and then absolutely smashes it with the the whole scene of turning all the fences back on, and then she gets chased down that corridor, and that Raptors come in but she makes it out and
0: well that that's like a whole horror movie in itself right there like uh, i i asked my wife when she was watching it um with me on one of my viewings last week and i said it was like parallel cutting between ellie in yeah in that bit with the raptors in the bunker and then grant going down the the electric fence and yeah. I said, which situation would you choose? To, if you had to be in one of these, which one is worse? And she was like, 100% Ellie's one's worse because it's like, it's in the dark. You know, you don't know where you're going and now there's Raptors in there. Uh, yeah, she's great in that bit.
1: And Mr. Arnold has already been killed trying to do that
0: job. Yes, he has. And um, we'll, um, we'll, we'll get to that.
1: Yeah, we'll get but she you. she makes it and she makes it out of there
0: she does she does she also has a great bit with Muldoon but I want to save that for when we get to him (laughs) and and then obviously we've crescendos with her and Grant holding the door and uh you know reaching for the shotgun and then going through the the vents at the top and then the the final scene at the end that I think we'll get to a little bit further but yeah great character great performance Anything else to say on Ellie? No, I don't think so. Then let's move on to the shirtless man himself. (laughs) Malcolm. Dr. Ian Malcolm, played by the one and only Jeff Goldblum.
1: (laughs) The shirtless man.
0: Jeff Goldblum from The Fly, Independence Day. You know, he's got a huge back catalogue. And uh, yeah, he... He's a great actor. I really enjoy Jeff Goldblum. What, what do you think of him as an actor?
1: Great, isn't he? He's in the Grand Budapest Hotel. He's oh, like loads of stuff, honestly. Just his voice in itself is, is like iconic, isn't it? And the way he talks um, and the way he sort of constructs a sentence. is just like, like no one else. No one else can do it like him
0: he He has this his delivery it makes it feel so natural and it it's like this character is perfect casting because he is this sort of eccentric you know really clever articulate person. He has some of my favorite lines of the movie um that we'll we'll go through but i mean his introduction into it he's growling at Grant and Ellie in the helicopter. <laughs>
1: So in my notes when I when I um when I was rewatching it, um I actually wrote Ian Malcolm, Jeff Goblin. We meet him in a helicopter, does some strange growling. <laughs> he he does. does that. Raw, 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 raw. He just keeps doing it. Like, what are you doing? It's so mental. <laughs>
0: uh, and and then like you said he's touching uh Hammond's knee and straight away is flirting with Ellie and sort of Grant is a little bit kind of, I don't know what the right word is, just a bit, it doesn't like rub him up the wrong way, but I think he's just a little bit eye roll, you know? All right. Okay.
1: Yeah. This geezer. Who's this geezer?
0: They don't really focus on Malcolm much when they first unveil the dinosaurs, etc. That's more focused on Grant and Ellie, but, When we're then going through the information of how the dinosaurs came to be, and then he gets great dialogue when we're talking to Henry Wu, the scientist, and he's saying about, you know, well, how do you control it? Do you go and look good? Do you go and to make sure they're all girls? Do you go and lift up the dinosaurs' skirts? And, you know, saying that, you know, life will... What did you say? Like push boundaries dangerously, but sometimes you know they'll push through boundaries and this, that, and the other, and life uh, finds a way.
1: He's brilliant. I think he's got probably some of the. I think he's probably got the best lines in the in the whole film, and he's got the most poignant things to say. So he's the one that you know will bring up the. You know, you're putting wild animals out there and you're making them all female but you know you've rapidly increased the rate of evolution you've you've taken dna and you've thrown it out there and this is what you've created but like like you said already and like he says in the film life finds a way and he he even says later on god i hate him when i write um because he's he just says all this stuff that you know, just just always that happens and everyone else kind of backs up what he says around it as well. So, um, Dr. Grant and Dr Sattler, although Dr Grant probably just like exactly like you said, is that eye rolling, oh he's this tosser. He he knows he's right and agrees with him and thinks actually this guy as irritating as he can be and as bit of a thinks he's a bit of a playboy. He um he's actually spot on right. Um and everything he has to say is is pretty much right. And he tries to do the right thing as well. He gets to that point where he's playing that suave, cool, you know, Hammond describes him as a rock star kind of character. Um, but he's very intelligent and has a lot to say and can be quite irritating. But he also tries to play the hero as well. And it, it sort of backfires when he gets smashed up by the by the T-Rex.
0: He completely, he has some of my favorite lines uh, and and parts. Like you said, I think my favorite is where he says, you know, I'll tell you the problem with the scientific power that you're using here. It didn't require any discipline to attain it. I I love that. Uh, He said, "You you read what other people had done and you took the next step. You didn't earn the knowledge for yourselves. So you don't take any responsibility for it. You stood on the shoulders of geniuses to accomplish something as fast as you could. And before you even knew what you had, you panned it and packaged it and slapped it on a lunchbox. And now you're selling it. You're selling it. But
1: <laughs> <laughs> you've done that justice twice now. Well oh,
0: done. And so well delivered. Like it's a, that's a massive bit of dialogue. And he makes it sound so natural
2: mm.
0: and organic. But yeah, like you said, when the T Rex comes out, he also tries to be helpful, ends up, you know, being, well, he's, he's tried, but he ends up potentially getting Gennaro killed. Uh, can we put that on him? I think that's probably not fair.
1: I mean, maybe a little bit. He ran that way, didn't he? So the, the T-Rex wouldn't have known Gennaro was there if he, if, he hadn't, if, if he hadn't run that way. So, yeah, I think Dr Malcolm is responsible. Oh, completely
0: it's chaos theory you know
1: i mean he's probably um he's probably responsible for a lot of deaths
0: <laughs> okay
1: no not really, I <laughs> not really not at all
0: <laughs> he obviously then gets injured in that he kind of gets like pushed through the like side of that tiki toilet or you know and uh and then he spends the rest of the, the movie with his shirt undone and drenched in baby oil because <laughs> hashtag the 90s. But he uh, he uh, he has more iconic lines and points when he's on the back of the Jeep and Muldoon and Ellie are driving and it's must go faster, must go faster. <laughs> and you get the classic shot, which is so Spielberg of the you know objects in the rear view mirror may be closer than they appear and it's the t-rex and he sort of leans back and it uh jolts the the gear stick and get it's... off
1: the bloody stick
0: <laughs> <laughs> i can't wait to get to Muldoon. he he might be <laughs> my he might be my favorite character i don't know um, but that
1: that's such an iconic scene as well because that's been parodied in so many different things and is just copied. I mean, it's even in bloody Toy Story, isn't it? Uh, and, and all sorts of, you know, what what a scene that, that is and has become. And that's this. It's the second instance of the ripple as well. So he, he looks at the footprint and the, they're rippling and he's like, did anyone else hear that? And, and he's quite happy talking to himself, isn't he? He's quite happy just, I'm going to sound these things out, but there's no one else around. It doesn't really matter. And there's like okay, okay, right, everyone. Okay, come back to me now. Okay, let's let's go. We gotta go. We gotta go. We gotta go. And he's, he is, literally the voice of reason throughout, isn't he? He is. He is common sense, and he is very grounded, and tries to bring people back down. Like Hammond. Hammond is like way up here, you know, in the, in the, in the gods, you know, going. Look at this amazing theme park. Look at these animals. We control absolutely every aspect of everything, and this, that, and the other. And he's like, "Actually, if we if we come back down here for a second, you'll understand that you can't control everything because these are wild animals, and this is that, and this is that, and this is that, and absolutely anything can go wrong at any point." And he's right, and he's great. The great character, great casting.
0: Completely. And again, like Ellie he doesn't really have um, like a lesson to learn. Like he kind of, like you said, is the voice of reason and he is kind of there to, to push the other characters, I would say. And uh, I, I like his dynamic. He has as well with Hammond when they're, you know, on the radio, he takes the radio off and telling Ellie to follow the, like the piping. And yeah, he's great. It's,
1: it's about not overcomplicating things, isn't it? They They've, They've, I suppose, in a way, they've overcomplicated everything, and he tries to subside that and say, "Why have you ever overcomplicated it? There's nothing wrong with it in the first place." And and it's exactly that point with Hammond is that he's overcomplicating his instructions, and then turns and he takes off and just just follow the cables above because that will lead you exactly where you need to be. I was like, "That's all that Hammond had to say," but you know, he waffles.
0: He does. (laughs) <laughs> bless him though bless him
1: bless him
0: anything else to say on Ian Malcolm
1: just that he is um, currently one of two characters that make it into the world, Jurassic World franchise not including Laura Dern who's going to be in the next one but in terms of films currently released he's he's one of two that's made it
0: over hopefully he'll be in the I don't know if he's making an uh, appearance in the Third one, but that would be awesome if he did. If they could get the original cast back, that would be great. <laughs> awesome. You know, Sam Neill and Well, this is actually quite sad. No, we didn't say earlier, but uh, Sir Richard Attenborough has passed away. Uh, he made it to being ninety-three, so obviously had a great a great life. But rest in peace to him. And sadly, and unfortunately, uh, Bob Peck, who played Muldoon passed away when he was only in his early 50s. Yeah, in 99,
1: wasn't it, that
0: he died? Yeah, I think so, which is really sad. Um, And I love him in this movie. I mean, firstly, he was in things like Edge of Darkness, Lord of the Flies, um, and then obviously I'm sure that this would be his most infamous role, as it's one of the most infamous movies of all time. Muldoon is... Such a cool character. <laughs> and he's the
1: first one we meet.
0: Exactly. So now we can talk about the opening scene.
1: <laughs> he is the first one we meet. He's great. I think he's quality. Fantastic character. You get from just from meeting him straight away, you get that edge of hunter slash tracker vibe without even knowing. His, his story or his introduction, because he gets introduced by Hammond later on. But when we're in this first scene, you kind of just, his outfit kind of just says, I, I've lived in Africa most of my life and I've been hunting these animals and I've been tracking this, that and the other. And I, I come from a line of that, like generations of, of my family have done this job sort of thing. Just minus the dinosaurs.
0: Right. Well, that opening scene is so good. I mean, when you think about it now, the fact that you don't even see the dinosaur, which we now, you know, know later is a philosopher out to the fact that you don't even see it, and it's still so menacing, like it's the the sound department a hundred percent deserve those Oscars because it's all to do with that. But I love the loading team. Duh, duh, duh. And then and Gatekeeper and all of that stuff. I made it sound like it's a game show. Welcome to the Gatekeeper.
1: <laughs> so it's like pushing team, step in, and then it's loading team, step away. Gatekeeper, up you go. Get, like, Joffrey raised the gate. And then that's when he lifts the gate up and Velociraptor's calculated it all. Because he, you know, as Muldoon exp- explains later on, they're smart and they learn and they remember
0: they remember
1: <laughs> exactly that and um and that's when you, you know this is what kicks off the whole premise of the film this guy gets sadly uh joffrey brown is the character name gets uh falls down and gets caught by the raptor and the raptor kills him
0: well it's before we even get to that point the fact that there's so many people there for the for the one movement of the dinosaur kind of gives all this gravity and weight to the scene that it's this serious you have to have this level of organization different teams and all of this stuff to move this one thing that we don't really you know know what it is at this point he he stays calm even when uh, that guy like you know, initially gets taken and he's like runs in and he's holding him. And then he's like with the like tasers or electric shockers or whatever it is, he's like, push her back, push her back. Like, or no, work her back, isn't it? It's like work her back, work her back. Like as in, it's still like methodical. It's not panicking.
1: Yeah. this His his job is almost like preservation of of the animal. Mm. Let's keep it. Let's keep it alive the preservation of the animal up until the very last point. This is this it's got too far now. Now we have to we have to
0: we have to What do we have to do, Dom?
1: We have to shoot her shoot
2: her
0: <laughs> It's the way it goes so close on his teeth and it's just shoot her. <laughs> shoot her. and you hear you do hear the shots.
1: Yeah, you hear it's kick going off, isn't it, for for a while.
0: So, but it's so are we it's assuming a, a, that Raptor got killed then, right?
1: I think so. I think so. Yeah.
0: Mm, I never really thought about it too much. Yeah, go on. But
1: must do, but it's it's such a rehearsed process, isn't it? So this isn't the first either Raptor or or dinosaur that we've brought into the park. So it's a rehearsed. This is this is how it's done. This is how we deliver um, the the animal into into its paddock or into its you know into whatever it's cage or whatever you want to call it um, but it's a rehearsed process we've done this a number of times before and this is how it's always gone and then it's this it's the animal that's reacted it, it knows it's learned it they remember
0: they remember
1: <laughs> it's like a one-off incident with um, what's happened it's just a shame that somebody's had to die it's been fatal as a as a result of these animals being incredibly intelligent.
0: Yeah. Well it's an interesting point, right? So I watched the sequel um and recently, and the whole point of that was they say that they use this island, not that not the Jurassic Park island, the island in Jurassic Park 2, as where they breed the animals. And then when they're older, they move them over to Jurassic Park. And Jurassic Park is like the showroom they call it you know so you know potentially that raptor was being moved from the whole other island in the canon maybe
1: yeah possibly so we've just we've picked them up from island number two and we're dropping them into the park because it's it's ready
0: right right yeah it's it's great that they stage it at night as well because it makes it more menacing. The fact that we don't see it, it's just perfect because you have no idea, but you you sort of see something moving around, don't you? And the noise is it's epic. But then we leave Muldoon there and then we don't come to him again, I don't think, until we're actually at the raptor paddocks again. And then when we're seeing it in the daylight, um, a question I'd never heard been said or answered when Muldoon actually comes up there's two conversations going on at once um mm. theirs is in the forefront where he's meeting Grant uh and Malcolm and Ellie and they're talking or whatever oh I think uh, but I think no so Hammond I think is talking to Ellie or something like that
1: yeah Hamm- Hammond's talking to Ellie and uh is talking to Muldoon and Ian's in the middle
0: Right, exactly. But I'd never listened to what Hammond is saying to Ellie, and it actually answers a question that I've always had. So the question is, is this is a theme park, right? How are you ever going to see those raptors? Because it's all, you can't see in really, and it's all, um, you know, like shrubbery and plants in there. But Hammond is actually saying to Ellie that they're building an underground uh, viewing chamber that you can go in to view the Raptors. Had had you ever picked up on that or is that just me? Do, do you know what, when
1: I rewatched it, I I, I was still focusing on what Muldoon and, and Grant were talking about, but I, I only really just picked up because I thought, oh, is this, is it the old fashioned acting where they just sort of go, you know, rhubarb and custard and you know, blah, blah, blah. I've read Laurie Yellow Laurie and they're not really saying anything. Um, but actually they are having a little conversation, but I couldn't really make out what they were saying. So that's actually really interesting.
0: And that would be so awesome <laughs> to view yeah, that. I'll <laughs> fix the glass. Oh God.
1: Cause we know that they, they jump through glass.
0: Yeah. Make sure that it's thick glass. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but it's a great, it's a great introduction into Muldoon as in, you know, the first sort of dialogue that he's having to another character and, you know, Cheetah like speed, and uh, you know, if they ever got out in the open, and I love his whole demeanor, is he basically hates them, or he doesn't like he hates them, but he he thinks that it's a bad idea. Do you know what I mean? He's got this sunny disposition of this, uh, you know, yeah, does, it's not good. Do, do, do you know what I
1: mean? Yeah, absolutely.
0: And then, uh, and then we get the whole bit of you know, the, the the head, the alpha raptor that had came out and ate all of its siblings or whatever, except for two of them. And, you know, has them systematically checking the fences for weaknesses. They remember. <laughs> and all of that. It's just, it, again, it goes back into from Grant's bit at the beginning. It's like building up, these raptors more and more and more and more and more, so the suspense is building for when we finally meet them.
1: Yeah, we're not sure who to fear the most, the raptors or the T-rex.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like folklore tells us that the T-rex is the the big you know thing that of dinosaurs to be feared, but actually Jurassic Park puts the most work into making us fear the fossil raptors.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and Muldoon's a big part of that. And he's obviously become an expert in them and kind of pack mentality.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then he's kind of in the background for bits. He goes with Ellie to go and find, you know, at the end of the T-Rex attack and, you know, they find Malcolm and he's driving the Jeep that we spoke about already. And then his next big bit is uh, when... He goes with Ellie to go and turn the power back on, and as soon as he comes out, he sees that the raptors have escaped. He can see the the um tracks going into the into the woods, and then' maybe my favorite bit of the movie, which they cut when it was released in China um where hey where he's, um we're being hunted. <laughs> over there in the trees I've got her turned <laughs> into Elizabeth Hurley at the end
1: you wish you were Elizabeth Hurley
0: you wish I was Elizabeth Hurley <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're not wrong
0: <laughs> and then it great cutting and then uh, run and she like runs off and then uh, cuts in and back and then we get to the, his hunting, the the raptor. He decides to pull out the I don't know what bit it is. Is it like the arm hold or whatever? Why didn't it's, he do that before he walked in?
1: Yes, this is this is the extendable, like um, shoulder rest, isn't it? Of the of the shotgun. Ridiculous. Yeah. Why is it either one? Why isn't it already out? Or two? You don't need it to fire the weapon, so why put it out in the first place? Uh, you know, it's just one of those plot devices to create tension, isn't it? Because he has to, he has to click it without making a noise. And this is it. This is, we're going to try really hard to click click it down. Okay, I didn't make a noise. I'm in a comfortable position. I took my hat off earlier, so they yeah. think I might. Uh, they're going to think I'm over there because they can see a hat. And uh, and then all Ooh. of a sudden,
2: is that why
1: he's like? Yeah, probably. So it's a bit of a distraction, isn't it? So if if there's three of you, well, there's actually two of you because we don't know where the third one is, but. I'm watching you, I can see you, I'm going to put that over there and you're going to think I'm, So if I had a hat on and I'm hiding behind my desk, you're going to think I'm still here but actually I'm over there, you know, it's got a bit of a distraction, isn't it, um, make you kind of focus on that while I'm the other way going to cheat in the face. Um, and then we get, then we get the probably, you know, it's up there with the top, top three to top five most iconic lines of the film when he says...
0: No, no, your turn clever girl
1: (laughs) (laughs) ripped to shreds by a raptor he gets off a shot does he he gets off a shot as he goes down (sighs) gets off a shot but obviously doesn't connect
0: contact the 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 music the musical cue or the noise when it puts its face through the uh through the bushes and it's right there it almost looks like it's like smiling at him but that like when it's like that animatronic it's so good that moment <laughs> of because you because yeah we know it's coming because we've we've seen it a million times but you're watching that from the first time even though it's been put in your mind and foreshadowed and pepped in from the beginning that this is how they hunt and whatever you don't see it coming the way it just and then yeah clever girl it's too late he knows it's too late he he knows it's too late but there's there's still no fear he just well, doesn't seem to have fear i think he kind of respects it in a way it's like because he's like a hunter he's been hunted you know it's kind of like well this is this is his life isn't it he's just been outsmarted um ah oh, there's such a great scene but yeah there was in the chinese release they re-released it in 3D um well, I think in 2013 something like that and they cut out that scene they cut out the 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 goat being it's you know when it's like leg gets thrown onto the jeep yeah they cut, they cut that bit uh and may, i think they cut when Nedry dies as well oh yeah it's weird yeah so that's the end of Muldoon. What a dope character, though. He's great. So it's time to move on to Gennaro,
1: (laughs) the blood-sucking lawyer,
0: who's played by Martin Ferrero. I hope I pronounced that right. He was in Heat. He was in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and he is the blood-sucking lawyer in Jurassic Park. He has that. He has the the scene with like the head miner guy. You know when he walks off of the boat and they're doing this exposition about the lawsuit and everything and he falls over? Do you think that was genuine? It looks genuine to me. Or do you think that was choreographed?
1: I'm, I'm not sure. And I, I always like to ask these questions on these. You know, like when we did Little Giants um, and we had to ask Shauna if she'd actually fallen over and it was she'd genuinely fallen over and they kept it in because she was just like so tired. But it genuinely looked slippery. But the guy that plays Juanito, so Miguel Sandoval, who's playing Juanito, who he goes "Hola, hola, hola, Juanito" when he when he meets him. He says in Spanish, "I bet you a thousand pesos." He falls in when he's being pulled on that raft. that uh. that he's he's just like you can. He's got no balance, and he's you, you know, it's very much um, city boy. Always worn a suit to work. Very uncomfortable in this environment but he's being thrown in and has to go and deal with these people and meet these people. And he's, you know, walking onto their kind of territory and their familiar surroundings. And they're kind of going to take the piss out of him a little bit. And um, yeah, it's not his scene at all, but he's doing what he's been asked to do.
0: That's crazy. And that's just from you speaking Spanish. Just, you just heard it. It wasn't like you didn't read that anywhere or anything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. just, know what he says is he literally just says I'll, I'll bet you a thousand pesos he falls in
0: why are you or always why are you always trying to be so humble on the spanish <laughs> why why, why don't you just own it man it's dope you're bilingual it's dope <laughs>
2: okay fine you speak languages
0: it. bro <laughs> and then he sort of has the bit it's kind of expositiony when they're first off the helicopter and then he's like you know i'll shut you down john and then, you know, he's like, in 48 hours, I'll be accepting your apologies. And, and then, yeah, he's like on John's side with Coupon Day. We've sort of spoken about that. He is completely seeing Jurassic Park from the capitalistic, money-focused side of things. And then he <laughs> he has a great line of, with the night binoculars, and he's like, are they, are they heavy? yeah. Then they're expensive, put them down.
1: Put them back, yeah.
0: Uh, and then he has his unfortunate end, which, you know, when you got to go, you got to go. And he gets eaten off of the toilet. I mean, what did you think about that as a T-Rex killing?
1: But again, it's all of these, because of the film being or the film that it is, it's, it's one of those iconic scenes, isn't it now? it's just the T-Rex has a moment to look at him and he's like wiping you know water from his face because the rain is so heavy and then all of a sudden it's just like Roar! and just takes him apart but there's a great bit where um, Ellie and Muldoon later on go I think this was Janeiro, and she goes yeah I think this was too and they're about like 10 metres apart from each other you know Yeah, um, which is a great, a great little moment there that's when they discover Malcolm who essentially murdered him <laughs>
0: He's just been like, ah, oh, Gennaro's blood is on my hands. The... <laughs> when the T-Rex looks at him on the toilet, it kind of does that sideways head thing, like my dog does that sometimes when I'm talking to her, and she'll just do. do you think your dog is
1: going to eat your face off?
0: <laughs> Maybe. But so yeah, and that and that's the end of Gennaro. Not really much else to say on him, really, is there?
1: No, I mean as a kid you kind of hate him don't you but you you start to realize that he's there to do a job so that like we said at the beginning his whole his whole the whole premise of this film is is that there's a lawsuit and these people need to kind of endorse the park to say it's safe and he's there as a representative of the investors of uh, i assume in general and john hammond's uh, business and he's there as their representative and like he says if 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 they're not convinced, I'm not convinced, we'll shut you down. So it's it's all on him. It's, you know, it's his decision. So maybe Hammond set the T-Rex on him. Yeah. Got to get rid of this guy.
0: Even as if he's meant to be like our antagonist, I still, he's still likable. Like, you know, like uh, he has some good moments that we've just covered. So, I mean, the real antagonist in this, I guess, is Nedry. But even Nedry, who we'll get to, you don't dislike. I mean, there's he gets there's a bit, he gets a little bit like, okay, a little bit. But we'll get to him. But there, I don't know, it's a show of a good film. It's like you don't need to have these sort of comic book style villains all the time, you know?
1: There's, um, yeah, I agree with you completely. There's, there's always films that I end up watching. And I'm one of these people that I, I, I don't mind knowing the end of a film if I watch it. I'm quite happy knowing before I go because if I get attached to a character that I really like and I don't know that they die at the end or they, don't, they die part way through, I get a bit annoyed. I get a bit frustrated um, because I think I've invested this time in, into getting to like this person and, and feel like I'm getting to know them. And then you've just wiped them out. You've killed them. Uh, and it's, it's very, very frustrating and very annoying. I find that quite annoying. But if I go in with the preconception and, and the knowledge that this person's already going to die, I'm okay with it. And I actually <laughs> really, really didn't care that Janeiro died at all.
0: Well, so, right, Dom, we've spoken about this before. The fact that you had, you know, lack emotion and like, maybe this is part of it. Like you would, you, you have to have previous no like notice. Like this is why I cried when Mellish dies in Save and Private Ryan, because I was connected to the character. Just
2: I've let it
1: very, out. I've, it's frustrating. You're going to yeah, go postal. Best, like if, we, if we're talking about, if we're talking about this film and we're talking about the 10 like main characters from the film and you, you know, five of them die. I'm okay with the, the five that survive. When we talk about saving private Ryan and they sent eight of them off, only two of them really realistically or three of them come out of that alive. Ridiculous. Mm. And, and the the ones that you like the most die. Do you know what I mean? It's true. But if I, if I go and see a film now and, if somebody says to me, I won't tell you what happens because it will kind of ruin it, I don't care. I'd rather know. <laughs> so oh, that wow. when I turn up when I turn up and go and see the film, I kind of already know what to expect, I kind of think, all right, I already understand that this is going to happen, so I, I'm not going to invest all that time in learning to love this person when they're just going to die be- even bef- before the end.
0: That, get me. Yeah, I do. I do. It's funny. We have very different stances on this because... I hate spoilers to the point that people found this out about me in secondary school, and I used to love WWE wrestling when I was in secondary school, right? I loved it. You know, that era, The Rock, Stone Cold, all that. Loved it. Um, And they used to air it in America like the night before it would be here in the UK. And I'm not going to call them friends because they weren't. Foes or people in my school would go on the internet this is early internet as well, to find out the results of the matches and then they would come to find me to shout them in my face so that that night I would would watch it and I would already know the results. I'd be so upset.
1: I would never do that as much as I now quite like knowing the ending. uh, I wouldn't do that to anyone else.
0: Yeah, and that's because you'll consider it. I mean, at the same time, you know, they're just douchebag teenagers. We were all douchebags at one point or another, so it is what it is. But, yeah, I I really hate spoilers, but I appreciate your right to be spoiled, Could to save yourself emotional distraught. I understand that.
1: Self-preservation.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So... Time to move on to the kids. So we have Tim and Lex. Are we, are we doing them as a joint? I think we can kind of do them joint because they're together pretty much. They're together for the whole film, aren't they? Apart from when uh, Tim is in the car, I guess. Um, so yeah, let's, let's do them together. So Tim played by Joseph Mazzello, who is in The Pacific uh he was in the social network and then most recently he was in bohemian rhapsody so he's continuing to to have a career and get things moving and then lex played by ariana richards who was in tremors she was in tremors free she's been uh she's had quite quite an extensive filmography as well what do you make of the kids because kids can sometimes be annoying in films like this but I think not the case here. What do you, what do you think?
1: I would completely agree. So sometimes you think you have to, they have to look after these kids and they have to carry them around and they're a bit of a drain on resources sometimes in films, but they're not in this. (laughs) I I mean that with,
0: I know what um, you mean.
1: mean. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, be a psycho about this.
0: You know, the kid in Terminator 2, it, Really toes the line. Sometimes is a bit obnoxious and a bit douche. John, Connor. John
1: yeah. Connor. Yeah, yeah. you kind of think. Do you know what? Just kill him, <laughs> Arnie. In the first film, you were you would have done it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Just do it in this one. Get <laughs> yeah, that was that's it. Done. Film done. You know, if you Wait. told me that before I went to seen it, fine.
0: <laughs> yeah, you'd be okay with it. Wait, I'm quick. Worried. Quick random fact, do you know, I uh, I think his name's Edward, I think, the actor. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The The kid that, the actor that played John Connor in Terminator 2, you know they have to have like tutors and schooling when they're like, you know, as as a child. Oh. I think he was like 14 or something when he made that film, he ended up getting with his tutor who was like 28 or something. They ended up having like an affair and I think they might have got married or something. Wow. Yeah.
2: How often does that
0: happen? I don't know. (laughs) Just, you know, there you go. Don't even know what to say about that. Just threw it out there.
1: (laughs) So Tim and Lex. (laughs) I think, um, well, we, we know that, it's quite famous that Lex was hired for her screen. And I'd I'd read that um, Spielberg was watching the casting tapes or the audition tapes. Do you know this?
0: No, I don't know.
1: So Spielberg is watching the audition tapes of um, the, the girls that are coming to audition to be Lex. Uh, and I think people like Christina Ricci and stuff like that had auditioned. And anyway, he's playing the tapes and they'd asked them all to come in and scream, because uh, that was going to be a big part of it, obviously. And um, when Spielberg played uh, Ariana Richards's tape, his wife came running downstairs, thinking someone was in the house screaming. And that's kind of what edged Spielberg into picking her for the film. I went, right? Okay, so this is she's obviously the right one. Um, that's what I've read. You know, hopefully that's true because that's a great story if it is. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, um, I like that. That's really And good.
1: There's, there's a really, um, what's really interesting about Joseph um, Mazzello and how he was, um, let's say, picked for the film is that he actually auditioned to play Jack in Hook. So it would have been Robin Williams' son, um, but didn't get it. And Spielberg said to him, we will work together, don't worry. Uh, we will work together you'll be in, I'll get you in something because he thought he was really good. He, j- he j- the only reason he didn't get the job in Hook is that he was too young. Oh wow! At the time, so and then like a couple of years later, he was then picked for Jurassic Park. Spielberg actually like hand picked him.
0: That's really that's really cool because you can imagine you'd feel like someone would say that, you know, like, oh, sorry, you didn't get this role. Don't worry, I'll keep you in mind for the next one. Like, you'd think Mm -hmm. it'd be maybe a throwaway comment, but the fact that he came true on that and then put him in a film that was even much bigger than Hook, um, that's awesome. And he is really good. Like, And they don't toe the line of being annoying at all. I don't find them annoying at any point. Um, I, I find them... Just really good. Believable as brother and sister, the way they interact with each other. Um, Yeah, really good. I mean, so so we've talked about some of the points. We have the, you mentioned about them getting in the car and following Grant around. And then they're kind of in the background a little bit. And then they really come in to their own when the T-Rex comes out of the paddock. And my God, how excruciating is it when Lex has got the torch on the flashlight on like you just want to scream at her and to, well it off. <laughs> they are screaming at her yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah it's um
1: like you said they're they're not they're not painful characters they're not like oh god you know just hurry up and get rid of them or let's you know can we just move on to the next scene because they're really annoying they're, they're really really um involved and you can see that they're Involvement and character change all the way through as well, because Tim is kind of that confident, chatty younger kid that thinks he knows a little bit of everything. And I've read your book, and you know, I think that this is a bit crazy. And he's got he's he's kind of not got those inhibitions that Lex has got because she's at teenage years. You know, when she says, "Oh, she told me to sit with you because it'd be good with you," she's kind of a bit like holding her hair because she's shy and maybe like always. Oh, you know, maybe fancies him a little bit. You you, you don't know, um, but then like as their characters develop and as things go wrong, she's the screamy, ah, and he's the he screams a lot of stuff and gets thrown about. So you don't see him quite as much because he's in the car, and then he's got to go and be rescued and um, bits like that. But she's still out and about and is worried about being left. And as, as they're sort of characters develop she then becomes comes into her own doesn't she like i sort of made a little comment about it earlier she kind of saves the day because she hacks the system she gets the systems all back up and running she's like oh i know this this is familiar to me and she's you know tim mentions it all the way along that she's that computer nerd and he and then she's the one that gets the, the part basically back up and running
0: i'm a hacker Prefer to be called a hacker. Yeah, no, completely. I mean, and even when she's like got the flashlight on, she's like saying, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry." It's like it's even just not. It's not intentional. And then that bit when the T Rex goes through the sunroof of the car and it's like on top of them. It's so good. They play it so well. And then yeah, when she's outside and she screams, and it is like a perfect scream. And then like when he he cups her mouth and then it's like, you know, and that bit when the T-Rex comes down and then they flash the light in its eye and its pupil dilates, such a good effect. Really good. So good. Sorry, just a quick tangent. And then, yeah, the whole thing we mentioned, the car going over the side, stuck in the tree, going up the tree, down the tree, all of that. Uh, Lex getting sneezed on is kind of a cruel but you know dark humor joke um uh all of those moments are really nice and then yeah going over the fence we mentioned already
1: but they've then... got some great like comic moments between them but timmy ha- has more of them i think because he um he can he says okay i'll i'll jump in three one two <laughs> electrocuted cpr cough 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 wakes up and goes three <laughs> and then you know grant has a little laugh at it, at that and gets them back calls him the human piece of toast um and then the iconic scene in the kitchen this, this is when the, her with the jelly first though her with the jelly that look, that her, i hadn't realized because i always think i always look at the jelly when she's shaking and then but on my rewatch I looked at her eyes, her eyes just get wider and wider and it just looks like genuine fear. And then you see the shadow and Tim's head just sort of turns nice and slowly to look at it. And then it's like run into the kitchen and hide. And it's sort of, they get, you know, they, the velociraptors seek them out, don't
2: they?
0: That is so petrifying. If you used to think about it and think, if you were to see the shadow coming in, because it's almost like you wouldn't want to make noise they have cheetah-like speed and they're astonishing jump is Dom. Like it's, <sighs> it's a whole thing. But then when you think about the makeup of that scene, I mean, in the kitchen, that's when they're using CGI, like the heaviest, right. In, in like the, the movie I'd say, you know, up until that point, every bit in that room is reflective surfaces, you know, like it's, so like to hide the cameras and all of that sort of stuff, like it's masterfully shot. Um, when they come in, like the the raptors when they breathe on the glass of the door at the beginning and then the door slowly opens because they can open doors and the way they come in, it's so good. It still looks really good now. Obviously if you used to put it under a magnifying glass, it, you know, it's, it's 1993 still, but leaps and bounds beyond what anything else was doing and that whole segment's brilliant the acting in it's great the sort of misdirect of when it's running towards Lex and she's trying to pull the thing down but it's in the reflection like that's brilliant yeah great scene and then that moves into the computer scene right when she's sort of she's on the computer and this is the one bit where it Tim could have just leaned over and passed Ellie the shotgun.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So she's trying to hook it with her foot. And all he had to he's he's floating about in the middle. He hasn't got anything, you know, major to do, other than he's just continuously tapping the seat, going, Come on, come on, come on, which would annoy me. I'd be like, piss off, i would do it with you doing that, mate. Sort that, of that would have been proper sibling, you know, punch moment. Like, Fuck off.
0: <laughs> you Go pass her, the shooter.
1: Yeah, go <laughs> and give her <it> a gun.
0: <laughs> they, they then move up into the vents. As they're going through and the raptor jumps up and knocks one of the panels, right? And Lex's character falls down. You know, she sort of hangs on to the edge and then oh, yeah. they pull her back up. You want to know a bit of trivia about this bit? Yeah, of course. So as she drops down, it was a stunt woman and the stunt woman accidentally looks up at the camera as they've done it, but they had to use that take. So this is the first time or one of the first instances that they CGI'd someone's face, Lexi, the actor, Ariana Rich's face on top of the stunt woman's face. So if you watch that bit back, she flips and it looks up and you can sort of see that it's just like a picture that just like flips up at the screen.
1: Oh wow. That's fantastic.
0: Yeah. It was just crazy.
1: That's amazing. I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. So it's like, you know, they're really pushing the boundaries all of the time with this film. Uh, and then we get to the climax that they're part of, which we will come to in a moment because uh, yeah, we'll get there when we get there with another character but, um, so that's Tim and Lex anything else to say on them? no
1: I think they're instrumental in the change in Dr Grant they have to be there to make him more paternal
0: totally nice okay. <laughs> now someone we haven't mentioned yet of course oh we mentioned slightly Arnold played by none other than Samuel Jackson <laughs> because he's in everything and that's what I put in the list of things of movies. I was like, just everything. He's been in everything. <laughs> he even he's dresses. not in it
1: for long, but he's in it.
0: Yeah, uh, and, and he has hair.
1: He has a bit of hair, yeah.
0: <laughs> and he likes to smoke cigarettes all the way <clears throat> down to the filter. <laughs> like,
1: and his favourite
0: line? Hold on to your butts. <laughs> or and was that on. the one you were thinking? I wasn't sure.
1: Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> he says it like two or three times, I think, doesn't
0: he? Hold on to your buds. He's, uh, I mean, what, what did you think of Arnold as a character? I mean, he's pretty much, you know, he's there. He doesn't he doesn't have too much to do, but, you know, yeah. What do you think?
1: Short-lived. As a plot device, he's really important, but his, he's basically in it for, like it must be like seven minutes max. He has one moment where he has like a little a little tannoy goes off when they're on the ride and it's him talking about the boat and the boat's going to leave at this time and so on and so forth but then when we actually get to see him he talks about how much of a slob Dennis Nedry is that's about it really isn't really he then goes off to go and try and do what Ellie eventually does and he gets disemboweled
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think that's kind of his function isn't it it's supposed to be a bit of a someone for Nedry to play off of. And you kind of imagine that that's the dynamic. You've got like uh, Arnold that's a bit more like straight laced, but also a bit weathered by the world, you know, and a bit sort of disgruntled in his own way, smoking his cigarettes and whatever. But then you've got Nedry, who obviously we'll get onto to, that's disgruntled in a different way. Um, and then, so in the original screenplay, he had a death scene. Like Samuel oh. Jackson had a death scene, and I think they just, I don't think they even filmed it. I think they just decided that for running time, uh, it was, and it was actually maybe just more um, sort of elusive and suspenseful to just have him go missing. But the way that it happens, you kind of forget. I remember the first few times I was like, whose arm is that? And then you, just, <laughs> then you kind of remember, oh, yeah, okay, he's gone missing, and this is obviously what happened. There you go. Arnold, which moves us on to Nedry, who, you know, we haven't even really mentioned yet But this is, you know, the whole sort of uh, B plot, if you will, of the movie. The fact that he is double crossing Hammond and he is trying to get the embryos out to give them to a rival company and... You know, so on and so forth. So, Nedry, played by Wayne Knight, who was in Dirty Dancing, Basic Instinct, he claims that Spielberg cast him as the first cast member of Jurassic Park based upon the interrogation scene in Basic Instinct.
1: Yeah, uh, apparently, um, Spielberg stayed to watch all the end credits and wrote his name down. Uh, after after he'd watched basic instinct because he was that impressed by
0: that's so cool can you i just to be like i wish that i was a director that was that powerful it could be like i like that guy i need his name i'm having it if it was now spielberg would just been on the imdb app and would have sorted it wouldn't he (laughs) yeah
2: (laughs) let's
0: find let's find these people (laughs) just like facebooking them it, from his whole first scene, when we got Dobson here, we got Dobson, you know, and he's in uh, Costa Rica, and they're uh, you know ben doing the Barbasol and explaining it, and a bag of money, don't get cheap on me now, and all of that. Like he's kind of a likable antagonist.
1: Well, is, he says, "Don't get cheap on me, Dobson." That was Hammond's mistake.
0: Mm.
1: So he's obviously. I wrote in my notes, I just wrote that he's a really disgruntled employee. <laughs> he's really upset with something like he's just even not getting paid enough. But then Hammond says, you've got these debts. They're your debts. That's not my problem. So he's, I, I kind of get the feeling that he's asked Hammond for money and said, I even need this. Do You need, you even need to pay me this or lend me this money or do something because I've got these people after me and this, that and the other. And I can't pay that off. And then someone's a, you know, approached him and said, well, if you do this for us, we we'll give you, you know, a ton of cash. So I get this feeling that Hammond wouldn't help him out, but probably could have done. And that's why he's got these, this problem. So yeah, this, this sort of subplot, like you said, has, has got a lot of links and basically commands the the main plot because everything that he does massively impacts on everyone else.
0: Yeah, exactly. He's the one that cut the power and cut, you know, so that the dinosaurs could get free. I mean, they also mimic the end, this sort of kind of this plot in Jurassic world because uh, Henry Wu, who reprises his role in Jurassic world um, sort of does the same, doesn't he? You know, he gets on the helicopter at the end with the embryos. Interesting. He's good. He gives a great performance I like his nervous little speech of like, I'm going to the vending machines. You know, I've had all of these sweets. I need to get, you know, something salty. Uh, You know, the systems are going to go on and off for about 15, 20 minutes. You know, this whole sort of, he's actually not very smooth when it comes to that part, steals the embryos. And then he has his demise where he, you know, is trying to get to the dock and uh, you know, he crashes. And then this scene actually is one that really stayed with me as a kid like the dinosaur that sprays the like poison or gunk or whatever it is in his eyes it's like his scream when he's getting attacked I mean what, what did you make of that scene
1: yeah it's, it's really good I mean he's got he's got some really interesting sort of sound effects to himself hasn't he because even even when he is being shown the canister and Dodgson like flicks it open and it basically shows where you put the embryos in he has that really high-pitched squeal yeah. noise that he makes like just pure excitement and then he, yeah when he's in the back in the jeep and the dilophosaurus is in there and it does the, like, the flaps thing and starts attacking him uh, and he's like that it's just like continuous like sort of same sort of screaming until he eventually you know gets eaten
0: And then that's kind of the end of that plot Fred, because the embryos or the Barbasol thing just gets you know, into the mud, right?
1: Which I was hoping that that, the whole sort of that being visualised and shown to us and being buried in the mud, you kind of hope that when they made the
0: sequel, that got found. Mm, Some sort of payoff, yeah.
1: Yeah, and it it comes at, you know, it might reappear in Jurassic World but they've already got (laughs) they've already got you know all the dinosaurs back so um you I was kind of hoping that I remember watching that as a kid thinking oh that could be in the next one if they make another one then that then maybe they find that and they do this that and the other and it's all centered around finding this can with these embryos in it and they start again sort of thing
0: yeah 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 that would have been great Mm. um so that's Nedry So I've got two characters left. Okay. They're technically not human, but I feel like we have to talk about the T-Rex and then we have to talk about the Raptors. I mean, we've kind of (laughs) spoken about them anyway, but just to say on the T-Rex, I guess the only bit we haven't spoken about and the Raptors that comes together is the final scene, which apparently wasn't scripted until like right towards the end like they had everything in place but they weren't really sure how they were going to end the movie and then they added the t-rex coming in at the end as kind of a a last minute decision that actually the t-rex is kind of the hero and needs to have that final bit of you know saving the day which it does as the raptors are coming in and attacking the children and grant and ellie and yeah, and, and it comes in. The T-Rex comes in, saves the day, lets out the massive roar. The banner perfectly falls down as it's letting that out. And then as you said earlier, Hammond says or agrees with Grant that they're not going to go forward with the park. And that is Jurassic Park. Have we missed any parts, Dom?
1: Oh, let's think. Key scenes.
0: Well, I have a list here of talk worthy scenes. So ones that just in case we didn't mention them, that we could uh, you know, give more to. And I think we've hit them all. So the opening scene, first scene in the dinosaurs, life finds a way segment, the T-Rex entrance, Clever Girl, Raptors in the Kitchen, and the final scene in the visitor center. So I think we did it. I think we've gone through them. Dom, It means it's time for our judgments. So of the main cast, I guess it's kind of hard to have a main, a, a primary, and a secondary. So we'll just say of the cast in general, who was your favourite performer of Jurassic Park?
1: I really like Jeff Goldblum in this film. I really like the, the character of you Malcolm. is It's kind of like irritating his ears at the beginning. He's you know has fantastic lines and probably the best line delivery as well. Um and the things that he says are so relevant and poignant and make sense and um he he gets everyone on side in the end, doesn't he? And everyone kind of everyone agrees with him except for the people that are out to make money. And he's very much uh this is what will happen. It there's no two ways about it. It life finds a way and these creatures will find a way to change and evolve and breed and destroy and create their own thing. What about you? Have you got anyone that stands out?
0: I hate to be boring, but I have to agree. <laughs> <He> has, <laughs> it's okay to be boring. He has the best dialogue. He has, yeah, some of the best moments. And I, I Sam Neil, is, is, obviously brilliant in this as well um, and is kind of like the heart of the movie in the way. But yeah, Jeff Goldblum's delivery that the whole uh, speech that I read earlier about, you know, you're packaging it and you patent patenting it and you're selling it. Like I love all of that. Yeah. Brilliant. What would you say about your favorite scene of the movie?
1: I really like Uh, Muldoon in the little foresty bit with Ellie and he tells us to run and he's hunting the raptors and then all of a sudden gets caught and he is that realization he's like I know I'm about to die but I'm gonna go out fighting and I'm actually really impressed (laughs) by these animals and you know I thought I had a better grasp of them than most and they've they've even outdone me and it's that that clever girl moment. is fantastic. I love that bit.
0: Yeah, that bit is brilliant. I I would agree on that bit. And then, but it's hard to be to beat the entrance of the T Rex in the rain like that. Is uh is still just awe inspiring. But uh, yeah. but yeah, that that moment is also brilliant.
1: There's there's little moments throughout it though, like all the way through that that I love. It, you know, little bits like. When they get into the control room and Dr. Grant looks down and goes, get the door locks and looks up and the raptors there and um just all bits like that. There's so so many good bits, but they're they're two that really sort of stand out. Both raptor related as well.
0: Nice. Excellent. Well, Dom, it's time for the subjective and the objective ratings. So this is your first time with us. We have a subjective rating. So out of ten, what is that? What do you give the movie on its nostalgic value personally to you? And then an objective rating just based on like your film critic perspective, or do you give it from a 2020 point of view? So Dom, what is your subjective and objective scores for Jurassic Park? So from a personal point of view um, and how I feel about
1: the film and Kind of watching it over the years and growing up watching it and watching it with friends and watching it with you and watching it with my parents and and all sorts. Uh, this film is is definitely up there. Um, so I'm going to give it a nine. This is a nine out of ten for me. And then my rating for how it holds up today and kind of what I think of it from a reviewer's point of view is. You know, I, I genuinely do think it still holds up today. You know, we talked about some of the CGI and stuff like that, but if you if you look at that being '90s filming, you, you, it's still amazing. and still really, really good. Um, I think there are some like obvious errors in there, like the T Rex coming out of the, out of its paddock at one level, and then everything dropping at another level. And these things happen in these films, you know. Um, nobody's perfect. Continuity is 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 difficult at times, especially if you're on a budget and on a time scale and you've got to make these things happen so things change. So I think from that that kind of point of view, maybe an eight point five out of ten, that's that's where I'd leave it. So still like very high. so kind of on a par, I think, with IMDB and Rotten Tomatoes. Nice. What about yourself?
0: Well done. This is going to be a first for me. I'm going double tens.
1: Oh my God. We're going double double tens.
0: Double tens. You
2: are (laughs) 10 and 10
1: in this. You're 10 and 10
0: Oh, I'm ten and tening all day, baby. This is
1: Oh shit.
0: <laughs> well, because from a personal level, I love this film so so much. I, I love it. I could watch I could as I said I've just watched it twice in in the week and I could watch it again tonight. Like I, I love it. And then from an objective point of view, it's just brilliant. <laughs> like it's <laughs> so good. Like the characters in it the the way the story's told the way the suspense in it just the direction the sound everything i mean yeah of course it has little holes in it here and there but everything does like you know you can find uh, faults in anything if you look hard enough but um Jurassic Park is not one that you need to look for faults in just accept it's brilliant and i do so yeah I'm going to go with the double tens but wow. Tom, it's been before we get into what we are going to get into on our next episode it's been such a long time since it's been just you and me doing uh the podcast that I had forgotten uh to read out some of the reviews so we've been saying on you know Instagram and some of our pages you know if you're kind enough to leave us a review Thank you very much. It means a lot and really helps us to spread the podcast to more people Uh, that we will read that out on the podcast and give you your minutes of fame (laughs) on our small platform. So I just wanted (laughs) to, uh, you know, shout out a few people that have uh, been kind enough to leave us some stuff. So let's start with uh, Seth B. Blue wrote that on iTunes gave us a five stars says it's brilliant I love this duo they bounce off each other perfectly give them a show already I I think we have I'm guessing this is this is our show so thank you if you mean network television or something (laughs) I don't know how we would fare with that but thank you thank Uh, you Seth yeah they, they said they love the films and level of detail they go into so thank you we have uh, Billy Bobby wrote what a podcast. These guys are brilliant. So funny. And their film knowledge is really good. They often have guests on from films too, makes for great listening to the stories from the actual actors and the classic movies from your childhood. So thank
1: you, Billy Bobby as well.
0: Thank you, Billy Bobby from dudley we've got uplifting entertaining fun love these great duo who bounce off each other and have fun It is a laugh out loud and really interesting it will make you re-watch the movies in a different way nice thanks dudley and then we've got banks on a conway budget which of course is a mighty ducks reference there's uh in-depth nostalgic goodness i'm 29 now and i love a bit of solid nostalgia these guys provide a really good place for a full film being reviewed with little hidden trivia gems not only that but with a cast member too that's the cherry on top great podcast cracking research and don't forget their instagram so thank you very much that's coming from an instagram follower follower so that's great So we also have Magic Man AR that says, love this podcast. This podcast is a trip down memory lane and an adventure to a time when the most important topic of the day was not on CNN or Fox, but rather a conversation on the playground over who was the best Mighty Duck. So thank you, Magic Man AR. And then finally, we've got Annex Racer. the wrote, fun podcast, great podcast, takes us back down memory lane and relive the 90s with great guests and stories, great stuff. So thank you very much. And then last but not least, we've got another review on Stitcher from... M. Webster Radcar, such a fun listen. I just listened to the Mighty Ducks episode and I have to say, bravo. I love this movie and they knocked it out of the park of their analysis, thorough research and overall passion for this childhood classic. One can also not overlook their choice of guests, Les Averman himself, Matt Doherty, been on two episodes now. <laughs> Doherty and other big name guests they get for future episodes may not be the Hollywood elite, but they are super important to me and my childhood. The nostalgia is real with this one. So thank you. That's from the Radcast, which is uh, another '90s like nostalgia podcast, which is really dope. So check them out on Instagram and wherever you get your podcasts. So thank you everyone for the reviews. That means a lot. Um, it really helps us. So we're super grateful for that. So thank you very much.
1: Thanks everyone. It, yeah, it really does mean a lot, and. Um, share the podcast with others yeah, others uh, listen to it you, you know hopefully you have someone that's, that's like minded so like me and Simon and you've got a friend that, that might be interested too then then point them in that direction it would be great to uh, hear their feedback on it too
0: excellent well Dom is that time my friend as you chose Jurassic Park for me to do the deep dive on it is my turn to choose for you what movie we will be going into on the next episode. I'm actually quite
1: nervous about this because this, it's the first one in a little while. Um, because we've had, you know, some of the actors on and stuff like that, that's kind of dictated the film we've been looking at and kind of the succession of films that we've we've done. Uh, and now we've gone from doing one just us two again to having one pick for me that I have to go and watch um, and I have genuinely no idea what's coming. I'm a bit nervous.
0: Well, you're right to be nervous, my friend.
1: <laughs> oh no! <laughs> what have you done?
0: <laughs> well, so we went big and bold with this one and this has to be the biggest movie that we've covered. Well, Saving Prior Ryan's very big, of course, but this in terms of Like, box office gross, and, uh, you know, yeah, this one, it must be the biggest one, right, that we've done.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: So maybe it's time to go off the track again a little bit.
1: Oh, no. What Disney original are we doing now?
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, not quite. So, Dom, for the next episode of the podcast, we will be covering, and you will be deep diving... Super Mario Brothers.
1: <laughs> okay, that's okay. I've seen it quite a few times.
0: I think you. I saw it with you. You came uh, for one of my like my birthday party. So what, I'm not sure what year that came out. Um, I'm going to check. I think maybe. What do you? What's your guess? My guess is like 92. What do you think?
1: I think probably a bit later than that.
0: Oh, later. So what are you saying? Like four or five. Ooh, 93.
1: okay so, so, what, same year as same year as, uh, as Jurassic park
0: yes um but one that has a mixed a mixed reputation um I picked it because I watched it again for the first time uh about three or four months ago, and I watched it and I, I was literally ten minutes in uh my wife was out, and I was like okay, I'm just going to drink a lot of wine and watch this film. And I just got... <laughs> and as I was watching it, I just got more and more drunk and more and more confused.
1: So are you telling me I need to be drunk to watch this film or don't be drunk?
0: Wine helps, definitely. But, uh... <laughs> it's
1: Bob, Bob Hoskins, isn't
0: it? Yeah, Bob Hoskins.
1: Okay. Rest right.
0: in peace. Have you, yeah. um, when was the last time you saw it? Probably
1: 1994.
0: Right. Okay. (laughs) It's going to be an interesting trip. Okay.
1: (laughs) Uh, It's one of those that gets chucked on like channel five very sporadically, you know, it'll be like the middle of, um, it'll be like the middle of October and all of a sudden like Mario's is on, but I will find it. I will watch it. I will deep dive into it and we'll see how we, how we get on from there.
0: Excellent. It will be a good time. So that will be our next episode of the podcast. As we were saying, if you're a fan and you enjoy what we're doing, please rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can catch us on social media, Dom.
1: So you can find us on Instagram at The Mighty 90s. Follow us on there.
0: And you can also hit us up at our website, which is themighty90s.com. You can send us a message on there, let us know of what movies or TV shows you'd like us to cover in the future, any guests or cast members that we should reach out to to see if we can get them to be on the show. And thank you so much for your support and we'll see you next time.
1: Don't forget to leave us a rating. It really does help us out, but please be gentle with us.
0: And wear gloves.
2: Show me the honey.
0: It's Billy. Dude, Don't want to raise your kids. I don't even like kids. His name is Robert Paulson. You're not even a haspin. You're a never was. I'm Woody! Howdy, howdy, howdy! I'm gonna show you God does exist. I am invincible! Go, baby, go! Once again! I see pride! Junior! I see power! I see a badass mother who won't take no crap off of nobody! That's, That's right! There's not a man today Who could take me
2: away
0: from my God? You good looking.
1: You're hot. It's like looking in a mirror, only not.
0: And I don't think they give them for surfing the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Go, baby, go!
1: And when everyone says it can't be done, ducks fly together.
2: Ah, Shooter! Shoot! Sure.